Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. <laughs> and welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in to the final episode of 2020, this crazy year. Fitting that it's episode number 69, <laughs> brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, how's everybody doing out there? Another Wednesday, final, uh, our final Wednesday meeting of this, uh, oh, this goofy year. Um, yeah, you know, obviously it's not just, you know, um, everybody's going through it, uh, obviously. And, um, yeah, it's been, what a ride. And, uh, you know, and aside from the obvious and the pandemic and all the, all that goofiness, um, yeah, just on a, on a on the podcasting side of things, um, you know, started with this network in April and, uh, you know, it's been a hell of a, hell of a first year. And, um, I want to thank everybody out there for listening and, and really supporting the show. And I know talking to Isha and Dylan and those guys, um, you know, the, the show's really grown and, uh, and steadily grown. And, uh, and I, and I think a lot has to do with the, the regular schedule, um, you know, coming out every Wednesday and Sunday, um, I think that had a lot to do with it, um, you know, and, uh, yeah. And, and you guys just for, for always, like I said, I know there's a million podcasts out there to listen to. It seems every day there's a, another ex player or somebody getting involved in the hockey podcasting and, uh, you know, so, you know, we're just struggling, struggling, uh, for your time. You know, you're, a, you're a, a, sm- a small fish in a really big pond and, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, I can get regular listens and, and, and keep developing, keep growing. It's, uh, it's really humbling that, that people stick, stick with the program. And, uh, you know, as long as you guys are here and enjoying it, I mean, I'll keep doing it. And I'm, I mean, and I've always said, I've been honest with you guys from, from day one doing this episode, I've said it a bunch of times on here that there's been times that I've wanted to quit and uh got really frustrated with the with the with the pro, uh process and um you know but at the same time uh when it's going good um it's a lot of fun and uh and, and the the people that I've met through it and uh have have made friendships with and stuff it's been uh it's definitely been worth it and um yeah guys and no I just want to thank everybody listening um, now, of course, today's guest is Steve Parsons. This is going to be part one of a two-parter. Um, yeah, Steve and I, I haven't actually even added it up yet, but I think it's almost four hours. And, uh, and he was a great guest. Like I said, you know, we do it here. Great. Covered the whole career and stuff. Um, Steve gave great, you know, it was just a great interview, real thoughtful answers and, uh, didn't hold back. I mean, um, you know, was honest and, um, you know, not to say other guests haven't been, but you know what I'm saying? Just, you know straightforward and uh no it was great and 
I, I had a lot of, we had, Steve and I had talked quite a bit actually, even on my old platform about coming on and, uh, no, so to finally, uh, finally connect and, and, and to put something down on, on audio was, was a lot of fun. And, um, like I always tell all my guests and I, and I mean it every time that certainly I hope this isn't the last time that they come on and, uh, you know, I'd love to have Steve back on and, you know, maybe, you know, and we could talk like go in a different direction in terms of, uh, you know, if, uh, something to talk about, you know, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, uh, uh, I, I don't think we've heard the last of Steve Parsons on, on fourth line voice. So, um, but like I said, this is episode 69. So, Please go back and check out the back catalog. Um, lots of great guests this year, and uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, not only with ex-players, but fellow fight fans. Um, and I've had an announcers and uh, and uh, heavy metal podcasters, and uh, you know a bunch of different people on on here. So um, it's been a it's been a lot of fun this year. And um, yeah, we'll see what next year brings. And, uh, you know, I, I have a bunch of people that I, I want to talk to and, um, hopefully we can, I can make it happen. And, uh, and I hope, hopefully you guys, uh, stick around and keep listening. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's sort of 2020 kind of wrapped up in a, in a, in a nutshell. Um, you know, um, yeah, there's not, not much more to say other than that. Um, I won't go too long today just for the fact that, you know, like I said, Steve and I talk for quite a bit, obviously, if it's in two parts, so nobody tuned in to listen to me, so, um, like I said, I'm part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and uh, they have about 40 shows, all the NHL teams are represented, so whatever uh, whatever team you're a fan of, uh, check it out, there's a, there's a show for you. Also, Terry Ryan and Brad Lieb, myself, are the original kind of content on the show, or on the network, so, uh, you know, check those guys out, and, uh, yeah, other than that, um, I was, for my, for my, my off podcast, or my off network friends, uh, of course, Joe over the Coliseum Chronicles, um, you know, he covers the New York Islanders, um, they're enforced, the enforcer scene there, the history, and, uh, he's had Mick Facote on, Eric Bolton, Jason Strudwig, Joe does a great job, and, um, he actually just had a former, uh, Islander WHA player uh, Kevin Devine on, and that was a really cool interview. Like I said, there isn't too many times you get to, you know, um, get a couple hours from a guy that played in the Western or the WHA against you know Gordy Howe and uh, Bobby Hall and and all those guys. So um, you know, and he was there for the Islanders' first cup, and so that was, it was a really cool interview. I know Joe's obviously with the holidays, just taking a little bit of a break here, but he'll be bouncing back in the new year, bringing you guys stuff. And uh, like I said, if you're not even just an Islander fan, but you're just a fight fan in general, uh, definitely check Joe out. and He does a great job. And then, of course, Alec over at the Five for Fighting podcast, who got married. And uh, he managed to uh, uh, tie down that, that nice young lady and uh, long enough to say I do. But congratulations to them. And uh, I know they've had, uh, you know, with this year trying to, you know, every, well, obviously with this crazy year trying to plan a wedding for it is... You know, uh, I, I sympathize to them and uh, uh, or for them, but uh, no, they got her done and uh, went really well, and I know they're really happy with the with it. So that's that was great to hear. And uh, you know, between uh, you know, obviously he's a little busy right now to bother podcasting, but I know he uh, he definitely has plans to get back in it uh, shortly. So uh, definitely be checking that out. And uh, also. Uh, Friend Dave over at the Slewfoot Hockey Show, 
and uh, Dan, Paul, and Kelly over at the Obey the Puck Show for all your current hockey. Uh, definitely check those guys out. And uh, other than that, oh, I always say for my, my sponsors, if you're in the Lloydminster area and you need a tire, you need a flat fixed, you need some rims, winter tires. Although, I mean, it's almost January. If you know what winter tires by now, come on now. But hey, just even a set of all seasons. Some white walls. I know a guy. Now you know a guy. Kent Staniforth at Fountain Tire in Lloydminster. Owner and operator. Former guest. Former Western Hockey League tough guy. An all-around good dude. Definitely go check him out. Fountain Tire in Lloydminster. He'll hook you up. Just go in. Go to the desk. Tell him Darren from the 4th Line Voice sent you. And if you don't get immediately thrown out, you have a chance of maybe... uh, I don't know what a discount. I don't know. Maybe he'll give you a complimentary uh, scraper or at least a cup of coffee and a Western Hockey League story. Hey, you need the tires anyway. What the hell? But no, Fountain Tire, Lloyd Minster, check it out. Kent's a good, in all seriousness, Kent's a good dude. And if you're in the area, go for it. Absolutely. But uh, other than that, guys, how about I just uh, zip it and we'll, we'll get going here. Now, before, actually, before I do that, I know I always say Wednesday's my interview show and then Sunday's my whatever general musing show. Um, obviously with this being two parts, I don't want to do like part one Wednesday musing show Sunday, part two next Wednesday. Obviously this Sunday will be part two to this. Um, you know, we'll keep it, uh, you know, keep it, uh, concurrent, I guess is what the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, I don't want to break it up. So yeah. So today and Sunday will be, uh, parts one and two of the Steve Parsons interview. Um, yeah, other than that, um, the fourth line voice on Twitter, if, uh, uh, definitely follow me on there. If you have any comments, my DMS are open as the kids say. Um, if you don't have Twitter and you want to get a hold of me, hockey fights at hotmail.com. That's right. I still have a hotmail account. Come on. It's hockey fights. I got a, that's a, that's a sweet ass email address. Um, hockey fights at hotmail.com. Uh, yeah, get a hold of me. Drop me a line. Tell me what you thought of the episode. Um, if you have any fight pictures you want to, sh- I'd love to see them. Uh, fight footage that you have, let me know. Um, all that stuff. Um, I'd, I'd, or if you're looking for a fight picture, let me know. I can help you out um, for sure, or try to anyway. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Don't hesitate to drop me a line. Also, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. Please uh, subscribe to the channel. Check it out. I have over 2,200 fights on there from junior to pro. Um, every league you can imagine is on there. And, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, OHL, WHL, AHL, IHL, everything, East Coast League, it's all on there. And, uh, you know, and, and, and some really <clears throat> um, unique stuff. I, I try to, you know, I mean, everybody's seen Probert and Cox a thousand times, but, you know, how many, you know, Craig Berube, uh, Dwight Schofield from, from the Baltimore and Hershey and Hershey days. Have you seen? Um, yeah, I, I try to put some unique stuff up there, and uh, you know the guys from G, like Colt Moore when he was with Swift Current, and Eric Goddard when he was in Lethbridge and stuff like that. Um, definitely try to you know uh, a different look for these guys. So I try to do those videos. So I think I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I always say a little bit of enforcer history try to do but i mean there's also nhl fights i do appropriate fights on there and stuff too as well obviously so um you know but definitely check it out please and subscribe to the channel and it's uh like i said it's fourth line voice on youtube so definitely uh i encourage you to check that out but uh 
about let's get into it. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and I will talk to you on Sunday. Hope everybody has a safe and happy new year. And uh, that sounds weird. I'll be talking to you in 2021. All right. Well, here's part one of my talk with Steve Parsons. Thanks, guys. All right. Here on the fourth line voice, my guest today was a former Nanaimo Clipper, a Royal City outlaw, a Reno Renegade, a Fort Worth, Fort Wayne Comet, Wilkesbury Penguin, Providence Bruin, out in Cowtown. Steve Parsons. Steve, how you doing tonight? Good, Darren. How are you, man? Very good. Hey, man. Thank you very much for taking for taking the time to sit down today. Appreciate it. I don't have a whole bunch going on. It's uh, Saturday night in COVID, and uh, yeah, and you and I have been chatting for a while, and uh, I'm looking forward to having a good chat with you. No, absolutely, and I think this will be a lot of fun. Like I said, I know you've uh, you know you've you've been on the big show. Uh, on the spit and chiglets and uh, you're entertaining on there and I know people are talking about it but uh, we're gonna go a little deeper on this one so uh, I'm, uh, I'm re- I'm ready if you're ready let's roll all right well uh, like well we got to start obviously at the at the beginning uh, where'd you grow up where'd you play your minor hockey I grew up in um, a little town called squamish until I was about 12 played my minor hockey there it wasn't a big town um, I think I didn't start playing until I was novice or maybe second year novice or something like that. And then, and then, uh, Adam, and then uh, I ended up played Peewee as an underage. And then we moved to Nanaimo when I came through Nanaimo, my, my family, like my parents split up and we moved over there and I was there from, I guess, Peewee, Bantam, Midget before I started the, the junior hockey dreams. Well, uh, well, like you said, and uh, I know you uh, you played in the Rocky Mountain Junior League and then the BC League. There, um, were you always uh, like were you always aggressive, or did that come later? Um, it's it's funny, like it's, you know, we're talking hockey, but it falls into a little bit of life too when you really get into it. Sometimes, uh, you know, growing up, I was a I was big for my age, but I I actually skipped a grade in school at a young age, so I was I was moved up a grade, so I was. My classmates were all a year older than me, and you know, in school. So my and my, a lot of my friends were, but I was, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal in hindsight or as an adult. But a nine-year-old and a ten-year-old, there, there's a bit of a difference. So I was, I was constantly around, you know, older kids, at least by a year, sometimes two. And so in that group, I wasn't, I wasn't big or tough, but in my own group. I, I was right. I was a bigger guy. I was aggressive. My dad was a, a Cape Breton raising me on the West Coast, and you know he valued being hard and he valued being nasty, and it was it was a big part of how my how I compete. Right? He, that's how I, that's how I learned to compete, and and it, it was in my, it was in my game. It was in my game at a young age, um, but I was more of a player. Like I, you know, I played rep hockey, and I was you know I was able to, you know. Um, you know, play at a high level, if you will, on those teams and in those tournaments and stuff like that. So, a little bit of both, but I always played with edge. Yeah. Well, I well, I know it. Uh, you had a very, you've had a, like we were saying uh, through text today. You had a you had a really interesting rookie year in junior in uh, in ninety two ninety three. You uh, you, you kind of go from uh, uh, Nanaimo in the BC League, and then you're you're down in Williams Lake, and then to Cranbrook in the Rocky Mountain League. And then you finish the year with the Kamloops Blazers, the Western Hockey League. That's a uh, man. It was wild. Like in hindsight, like uh, just looking back on it, 
um, you know, that was my 17 year old year. So my 16 year old year, I was offered to play junior B in a place called Parksville on the Vancouver Island junior B league. Um, I went to a, a training camp there. I wasn't quite good enough to go to a junior A camp. So I got invited to this junior B camp, I think. And, uh, I did all right. I played some pre, I played some camp and some preseason, played an exhibition game against the junior A team. I was offered to stay in the midget triple A coach, a guy named Bill Bestwick, who was pretty well known in the junior A circles in BC, especially. And he, he was a midget coach. I went back and played midget. And then after that year, we, we held some provincials, and I had a pretty good year. I had lots of offers from junior A teams, not much dub interest. And I went to Kamloops Spring Camp, and um, I don't even know if I got an exit interview. Like, I think I went there for whatever it was, three or four days, played the five scrimmages. I don't know. I think I got in a fight, but I you know, it wasn't a big one, or it wasn't, I don't know. There was no fanfare. There was no scout. There was no exit meeting. I just kind of went and left, and I was in, like, April or something. And then that summer, I played, signed with uh, Nanaimo Clippers, my hometown junior A team. And I lasted uh, five games. And I really wanted to play D, and they, they put me on forward. And I had this whole thing in my career where I really prefer to play D because I get a regular shift. But every time I took a step in my career, they put me on the wing. And they played me five shifts a game. And they're like, we just want to get you in the lineup. So Nanaimo to... Williams Lake. So I said I wanted to play D, and the, and the general manager then traded me to Williams Lake, and Harvey Smeal was the coach. And I was there for a month or two, played a handful of games, and didn't really think I was a fighter. I thought I was a tough D-man player, and and they don't they didn't really tell me otherwise, but they just <laughs> traded me to Cranbrook. So I was Nanaimo, Williams Lake, and then Cranbrook, and I ended up in Cranbrook. Um, and, uh, that's where I kind of got my confidence and I kind of, kind of figured out that I could play hard and play regular and, and scrap when I needed to. And by January that year, the Blazers enlisted me and played a game like a week later or so. And then literally the rest of the year, like I spent more time in Campbell practicing with them. And then I'd go back and play with Cranbrook and then. And then I end up finishing the year in Kamloops. And I always joke they won three cups in four years, and I played the year they didn't win. So <laughs> those, are my, those are my contribution level. Well, I, I laugh because, uh, yeah, you, well, well, first of all, I'll start in Nanaimo. So, of course, you're on the hometown team. Uh, a couple names that you, you know, uh, that you would have played with, the people out there would know would be, um, uh, if you could, Phil Volk, Sean Pete, um, Jason Dizwich. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. then, um, then, like you said, you go to Williams Lake with the Mustangs, um, and then Cranbrook, uh, which those two teams actually ended up meeting in the final. That's right. And Williams Lake won. Uh, so, yep. um, but actually on that Cranbrook Colts team, you played Brad Lukowicz. Brad Lukowicz, yeah. Well, in Nanaimo, there was me and Sean Pete and a guy named Brent Murchison. We were all the same age. We'd come up through Pee Wee Band and Midget together. Sean and I still keep in really good touch. We talk almost every week now. He lives down in South Carolina or North Carolina, and he, he's big into leadership and NASCAR and uh, and coaching. But he was he was real real tough. So we come through together, and um, it was awesome to play there. It just it just wasn't I just wasn't able to play there. I just there was just too crowded. And then um, into Williams Lake, there were guys like Lenny Forshner and uh, I remember Adam Murray. And and there were some there were some real 
Shane Fortin. There were some real tough guys in that league. Was that Chris, and then uh, Chris LaRue? Like, Is that a name? Chris LaRue. Yeah. Well, yeah, Chris LaRue. And then uh, Corey Demisak, who I don't know if he played the whole year there. He was there for a couple months, but he ended up playing like five years in Chilliwack and stuff like that in the old BCHL. And he was Harvey Smeal's nephew. So Harvey Smeal had a bunch of guys from from Alberta, St. Paul area, come and play too. Like Harvey was awesome. Like he was so whole, he was so tough and so raw. I just wish I would have understood it better at the time. But I mean, it was my first time away from home, and and frankly, I didn't have the best environment at home. Like I was kind of kind of living on my own or living in a village, even in my hometown. So it was it was a means to an end to get out and, and, and go do live on my own and and play hockey, and, and I use hockey as a vehicle to go play. And by the time I got to Cranbrook, I was kind of like, man, if I don't make this work, like, I'm going to be back in Nanaimo, and I don't know what I'll be doing. Like, it's kind of a biker town, and I, you know, I, I was okay in school, but I, I didn't didn't chase it, so I, I kind of got desperate, and and all of a sudden, it, it kind of worked. And and uh, Bernie Lukwich was our assistant coach, and, and I was Brad's dad. And there was about five or six guys that were Blazers prospects that were playing in Camber- in Cranbrook that were Blazers prospects, and Luke Quich was one of them. And um, we became be- best buddies. There was a bunch of us, me, Luke Quich, uh, Dave Listage, uh, Tyler Dooling, Garrett's brother, uh, Dave Pernak. Uh, we had a whole crew of guys. We spent a lot of time together. And uh, it was fun. And I uh, kind of learned what, you know, at that level at least about junior hockey and what I thought it was, which was which was a lot of fun at the time, that's for sure. Well, and like you said, and uh, you know, you're kind of learning your way, and kind of you know, whatever, you're learning the role, so to speak. And I mean, you know, back then, I mean, the Rocky Mountain League, I mean, no shortage of toughness in that league. And uh, I was just kind of going through the rosters and looking at some of the names, and I mean, you know, I mean, in um, you know, in Prince George, I mean, you got the you got Trent Potskin, Chris Hawes, Mitch Shawara, you know, I mean. Um, um, Kimberly with uh, you know Chad Kamek and Scatcherd and uh, and, uh, and, yeah. and and a cat and Quinnell that uh, everybody knows now uh, a youngster at the time Terry Ryan. Um, what, what yeah. was, uh, do you have any anything stand? Do you ever take on the uh, up in Prince George? Do you ever rumble with Potskin or Hawes or any of those guys? You know, um, I, I fought Prince George more than once. Uh, I think, uh, well, there was a bunch of pot skins. Yes. There was Joey, Trent, Tracy. Um, there, was, there was one that played down in Chilliwack. I think that might have been Joey at sort of like 70 goals. There was, a, there was, there was guys in, in Fort St. John. There was like four or five pot skins running around. And some were players and some were tough guys, but they were all, they were all tough, tough. Um, when I was in Williams Lake, um, they had guys like uh, Jason Jutes and uh, Grant Joe, rest in peace. And some of these guys were like 30-year-old men, you know, driving Trans Ams to the rink with cigarettes and tunes going. And you're like, oh, my God, this is a grown man. Like, I don't I don't know. And, um, you know, Len Forstner was on our team. And, and, like, he was right from Fort St. James. And he was, he was big, burly, tough, mean. And uh, he was our captain, and he was a great player. And so he, he really took on the heavyweights, the super heavies, and kind of kept them at bay. I don't remember who I fought when I was with Williams Lake. I know when I was with Cranbrook, um, I, I fought um, 
I think I fought one of the Plotskins in Prince George. And I think Hawsey and I got into it one night too. Um, but we had we had a couple run-ins, Hawsey and I, because he got traded to Creston a couple years later when I was in Cranbrook. And he used to come down and literally party overnight in Cranbrook and then show up at the rink to play us the next night. And then we'd literally, like, fight the next night. And like, weren't you guys, like, hanging out? Well, kind of. He was in town, and I was out and had a couple, and then we realized we couldn't be perceived as buddies, so we actually scrapped on the ice just to make sure no one thought that we were playing favorites. Well, that's kind of the stuff that went on back then. It was weird. Yeah, well, I can remember Hawes. Yeah, because uh, when uh, the Saskatoon Blades and they were having issues with Rhett Trombley, they sent him down to the SJ, and they brought in Hawes to replace him for a little bit. And uh, Hawes had a really, I can't remember who he fought in Moose Jaw, but I remember when he came to Saskatoon with the Blades, we are like, holy shit, who is this guy? Shaved, he's a big dude. And uh, shaved head, and he's ready to rumble. And like he was right on the news, like, oh, I'm ready to kick ass. And we're like, oh, who is this guy? This is great. He wasn't here for very long, but he got into some good tilts, though. But yeah, so oh, when, I, when I saw his name come up when I was scrolling through, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to ask him about that guy. Well, and then the Potskin, of course, uh, Trent Potskin was in that hockey enforcers tournament in Prince George. That black and blue tournament that Mayrad won, Potskin was in that. Well, I fun fact, I, I was the judge in that. I was one of the judges in that. There was, there was me, Paul Brown, and John Craig had judged those fights. Um, people can argue with some of those outcomes, but whatever. I'll, I'll talk about that later. But yep. And my Z, Brent Myers, was doing the, the commentary. Yep. And uh, I, I know Trent was there. And I just remember looking back on it now and, like, you know, he was tough. No question, but that that group that he was up against, those guys were were killers, right? And he was, I mean, not say that he wasn't tough enough to be there, but the guys he was going up against, like Mayrand and Parker and Scroy at the time, all those guys, Lionhouse even, some of those middleweights could really go. There was big boys all around. Like, there was definitely two classes of guys. I'm not saying that Trent wasn't tough. I'm just saying guys coming out of the LNAH into that tournament were a cut above. Well, yeah, and I mean, and they're just like right in like peak form, right? So it's like you know, and you're you know, and you're pots kid who probably you know you you play on the weekends in a senior league now and again, and it's like yeah, that's not the same as those LNAH guys doing it forty times a year or anything. So yeah, but oh, the fact that he sacked up and had the nuts to go do it without with that lineup jeez and link gates too like oh my god you know but no sh- no shit man that took big balls that oh yeah big balls yeah so yeah. when i saw his name come up i was like oh i gotta ask you about that guy um do you remember at this like i said i mentioned uh obviously uh terry ryan who at that point i think was like 15 um do you remember playing against him and like the hype around him at the time Oh, sure do. Um, we had a line brawl in, in Quinnell against them one night, actually. Um, and he was on the ice. So I I was a big fan of the game, too. Like, I collected cards, and I played street hockey, and I was a stick boy of teams, and I went to NHL TV and read the stats and went to a couple Canucks games. So I was a big fan. And so anytime that there was – I remember Terry Ryan's piece, the family the thing they did about the family moving out there. So I, I was aware of who he was. And they had a guy named, uh, I want to say Curtis Spencer was like the big tough guy for them. And they had also, I want to say, uh, uh, Quentin Van Horlick, rest in peace. Yep. And, um, and we were in there one night and I, I can't remember who it was on our team. Maybe Dave Listed or someone ran their goalie. 
and we had a full five on fiver and Terry was on the ice. I didn't fight Terry. I fought, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, a big D man, um, not Bosomworth, but maybe. And, and it was, it was chaos and the goalies fought and, and Terry fought and Spencer fought and we were all the rookies on the ice. It was Cranbrook and Quinnell and we had, we had this big line brawl. And, uh, Terry, I remember being 15 years old and he was, he was out there and I could see like from one of my fights, we were kind of tied up and kind of waiting for the lines when to break us up or whatever. And, you know, and he was, he was still fighting. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, what 15 year old is in a line brawl right now fighting for minutes at a time. But he was like that back then. Yeah. And, you know, he, he watched his career. Like even, I think when he was in like the dub or something like that in the CHL All-Star game, he, he fought Brian Burrard. Yep. You know, like he does shit like that. That is just like, I don't know. I, I love Terry Ryan. We were teammates in Hershey. We've become really good friends over the years. And he, he's one in a million for sure. And like the guy could play and fight. I love that about him. Yeah. And I, and I know, you know, Terry, you know, I was on the pod. Every and everybody listening has heard Terry Ryan's podcast or read his book mm-hmm. and all that. And, um, um, you know, and uh, and I've got to you know know Terry a little bit, talking to him over the years, and uh, I know he's like self-deprecating. You know, he always kind of shits on it, but like back in the day, like Terry Ryan was the fucking man. He was, you know, like you put up his numbers, it's ridiculous how good that guy was. Like he was a phenom at that age, dude. He's you know what? Like I was uh, I was the, I was in Newfoundland I think a couple years ago. I got some, I got my sister lives up there, so I went to visit her and and. It, it, but the chance, the time I was there, it turned. I'm like, hey Terry, I'm coming to town. I'll be there Tuesday to Friday or something or whatever I was going for. And he's like, oh, we got an alumni game. You should come. And so I went and like Gary Lehman, Wendell Clark, these guys are all there. Anyways, they did a shootout at the end, and I've never seen this move before. Terry came down on a shootout, and he scored on a rock round. <laughs> what? He came down on the goalie, went around the net, and put it in. And I was like, come on. And, and he's got this ability, man. Like, he played in, this, in the Chinook League out here in senior, and he led it in scoring. You know, when he was with us in Hershey, they put him on the fourth line, but also put him on the power play. I'm like, I looked at him one day. I'm like, why are you playing with me and on the power play? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but he was, he was unbelievable. Like, that guy plays hockey. Like, he's a true, true, to me, he's one of those true hockey players. And I, and I, I think I'm a true hockey player, too. I just love the game places as a kid and some guys are better than others but Terry will play ball hockey, roller hockey ice hockey, pond hockey, senior hockey, rec hockey shinny hockey, he'll fight, he'll play like that, those guys man those, those are hockey players right and and, I mean, and he's fought everybody and he fought Ty Domi three times you know he played Ty Domi three times like you, know, you don't have to explain yourself when, on who you're willing to fight I don't think no absolutely not well um like you said, you spent a lot of times around the uh, Kamloops Blazers, and you played in the, the you know the one regular season, the two playoff games. But uh, what? And like you said, just an absolute dynasty franchise at that time and, and in that time period. And uh, just some of the name. Well, of course, Don Hayes, the coach, um, and then of course just Darcy Tucker, Tyson Nash, Shane Doan, of course Chris Murray, Scott Ferguson. Um, how was Tucker and Nash and those guys? How'd you get along with them? Um. Uh, not really. You know, like, for the most part, like, I got along with most of the guys. My roommate was Rod Branch, and, and we, and he was a goalie and great guy. And, and, um, you know, I, I kind of joined the team late in the year. And, you know, there was guys that, you know, you know with, with any team, there's guys in and out of the lineup. 
and now I'm one of those guys trying to get in the lineup. And you know, it was tough. I, I you know, maybe I maybe I wasn't as self confident as I should have been or could have been, but you know, I, I really didn't I didn't I didn't fit in right away, you know, and then through the summer, you know, I made buddies with these guys. Like we're, you know, we're we're, we're going to some of the summer camps and spring camps together, and we're working out a little bit, and, and we're spending some time together, and and we get along. But I, I wouldn't say we became very good friends, and and I, and that might have been part of the problem, right? Maybe they didn't see me as an equal, or maybe I didn't see myself as one. And you know, I certainly, you know, it's a competitive environment, right? There's two ways to look at it. It can be like, oh, they should have been, you know more supportive as an organization or, or it's like, Hey man, figure it out. Here's your chance. Yep. And so like, it, it's kind of one of the two. Right. And, 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 you know, I, I can say, you know, personally at that time I was going through a lot of stuff and it's funny because, you know, back then you're going through stuff and, and you're perceived as weak or you're, you know, you're not ready or whatever. And now if you go through stuff, it's like, Oh, how can we help? You know, Oh my God, yeah. mental health, you know? And it's like, well, you know, when guys are calling you a fucking pussy, you know, I mean, you know, I was, I was, you know, it just, it just didn't, it just didn't fit good. I didn't feel, I never, I never got comfortable there. Right. I just never really did. Um, tried to, right. I, I tried, I tried to fight my way on. I tried to chirp. I tried to get in there. I think I fought Brett Duncan in one game. I, I think I had some skirmish in Spokane. I, I, I probably didn't equip myself as well as I would like to have, but you know, um, I'm not, I'm not convinced I got a very good opportunity either. Like I remember the next year, 93, 94, it was like October or something and the season was underway and I was on the fifth line. Like, I was like, am I, am I ever going to play? So like, well, you're not ready. You know, you need to work on your skill. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep watching and practicing. I'm 18, you know, and, and they said, well, you know, you have a job to do, and when you're ready to do it, well, well you'll do it. And I was like, well, I don't know if I like that very much. And so I, I, I didn't I didn't accept it very well either. That doesn't endear yourself to your team when you're not ready to do your job. So, I mean, I, I got to get along with them. Yeah, on the surface. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, Purse. Hey, Nasher, how you doing? Hey, Doxy, whatever. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I never, I never really fit in with that team very well. And it ended up being the reason I, was, I didn't last there, to be honest. Yeah. Well, so like you, yeah. So like you said, you're in you're in Kamloops there, ninety three, ninety four, and you kind of fifth line in it. And then it's uh, did did you? Because uh, I know you end up that season. You played with the Creston Valley Thunder, the back in the Rocky Mountain League. Um, did you uh, go there right away, or did you leave Kamloops and go and go home? Or yeah. So um, I didn't really have anywhere to go. Like yeah. when I when I when I wasn't ready to play in Kamloops anymore, like the year before, Cranbrook had my junior A rights, and um, you know I think that year with Cranbrook, I, I found it the other day. I was going through some stuff, or I'm doing some rentals on my house, and I saw some bin, and there, I got a most improved player award that year in Cranbrook, and they had my stats on there, and I think I had seven points and 350 penalty minutes as a as a rookie D man in the Rocky or something like that, and so I felt comfortable at that level, right? I was like, all right, I'm not intimidated here. I'm ready to go up, but I, I didn't get that. You know, maybe if I was in a different organization and I could get in the lineup and be part of the team, I would have felt more comfortable. Um, so they said, well, what are you going to do? Well, we got your rights. You're not going anywhere else. Cranbrook doesn't want you back. That's our farm team. What do you think? What are you going to do? I said, well, I won't do anything then. I'll fuck it. I'll sit and I'll wait. They said fine. 
so they um they kept me on their list and um i didn't play for a couple months and then finally i got a call from a guy from the general manager of cranbrook his name was eddie mountain and he was a great great man and terrific and he also owned the junior b team in in indermere columbia valley and so i actually he called me he said when he let me know when you're ready to play again i said yeah okay so i went through some stuff and Called him up after a couple of months. I think it was probably November or so, in December maybe. And I said, hey, okay, I'm ready to go. He said, all right, um, I'm going to bring you into Indermere. And, and and then we'll, we'll see if we can't, you know, maybe get you into Cranbrook here. If you play well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll because I know that it's a farm team. We'd love to have you here, but we don't want to take place with the guys going to Kamloops. Or, you know, maybe we'll find a trade for you. So I, I spent a couple of weeks in um, Indermere. And that was a bit of overkill, right? I go from like being one of the a tough guy in the Rocky and playing in the Dub a little bit to playing Junior B. Yeah. And so, like, I was complete overkill, and I was a bully, and I was fucking mean, and I was immature, and I, I was out of shape, and it was really a, so. I lasted a weekend. I think I had a bunch of points, a bunch of pims, and then they traded me to Creston. And Creston was a guy named John Kettle was the owner, and he was assembling a. Um, He's trying to put together the toughest team in junior hockey ever. And in hindsight, like, I think just not even looking, Reno Bazzoni, Adam <laughs> Murray, Chad Kamek, myself, Ash Cooper, um, there's Jay, more. Jason, sure. Tra- Devin Jason Trache. Jason Trache from old, so fucking tough. Like, we had a whole bunch of guys, and our, our Texan owner and president was like, yeah. Give her boys fucking whatever you want. Like go after guys, jump guys, and and it was like I don't know. It was good, and then I was I was really wanting to get back to the dub, and um, there was there was talks. I didn't have an agent then or nothing like that, so I was talking directly with the teams, and I got a call from um, I think it was Eddie Mountain to ask me let me know that that victoria was trying to trade for me or trying to bring me in but camel still had my rights and so i was kind of hoping for a trade waiting for a trade and shit kind of hit the fan and we were on the road with creston and there was a it was january 10th there was a deadline or something like that and i just remember getting thrown out of the game me and another guy in the line brawl actually mpg and i got slapped with like uh 15 or 20 game suspension whatever games were left in the year and i got stopped like there was a there was an altercation with i got kicked out i was in the locker room the guy coming behind me he got in an altercation with the fan i came out i was in the altercation with the fans and uh there was like uh, security guards and fans pg on a saturday night oh yeah you know like <laughs> you can imagine how many lead storm rider jean jackets were punching me in the head at once so um, I, I love PG, and, and, and they hate me, and it's, a, it's an awesome relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, well, like you said, you threw out some names there from your day, like you said, Creston Valley. You played twenty eight games. You had two hundred sixty seven minutes, and um, <laughs> you know, and like you said, with uh, some of the names throughout the league, though, that uh, I mean, we mentioned Quentin Van Horluck before. Um, there's like Tom Bomber. Uh, Jake Skarenka, yep. uh, Corey, yeah, uh, Corey Laniac. Um, did you ever have any run-ins with him? I don't remember him from the Rocky, 
but I remember him in um, in Victoria. Yep. Um, a couple of years later, when I played Nanaimo as an overager, as a twenty year old, I remember him then. And um, <clears throat> you know, he, I think he might have been a year or two younger than me. And, and, and in juniors, I thought it was a big deal. Like you always kind of knew how old guys were. So if you were like an eighteen year old fighting a twenty year old, that was a big deal. And, and other way around. You know what I mean? So I knew if I fought up an age group or I fought up a level, same thing as I got older, you know, like um, if, if Laniak was an 18-year-old top D-man, like I'd, I'd push him around a little bit, but I wouldn't I wouldn't take it as like, you know, any kind of honor, right? Like, you know, he's an 18-year-old, like being a bully. I'd look more for like a, a 20-year-old guy to, to go with, let's say. So, you know, um, Laniak at that time, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't intimidating. He was a good player and he was a tough guy. But he, he certainly, you know, he, he played for, I don't know, five or six years in that LNAH, and he fought almost everybody as far as I know. And, you know, it's just one of those things. That's, it's neat to see the path guys take. Um, but he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't an intimidating force back then. But I remember, like, like Tom Bomber, I had to fight him in warm-up one night. You know, like, the, those Rocky days, they didn't film, they didn't film warm-ups, and they didn't film games, and, the shit that went on in the early '90s was like <laughs> kind of crazy, man. Like, oh yeah, well, it's called it's called yeah, jungle A for a reason. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, I remember one year, one night in Creston, and me and Rito Barazzoni, we went down and took the other team's net and brought it back and put it on the half wall and warmed up our backup goalie. Another team warmed up with no net. Tremendous. And they're doing like the, they're doing like the horseshoe drill and shit. That doing that. The goalie's like standing in the crease. <laughs> And Reno's like, come and get it, come and get it, and he's saying to them, I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is like I, the meanest shit you can do to people. I heard Link, Link but, Gates did that in the IHL. Yeah, did he? Yeah. Oh my god, maybe that's where we got the idea. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like you said, Reno, but that's like the greatest name ever, Reno. Oh, he was awesome. Yep. He's from Williams Lake, man, and, and uh, when I was in Williams Lake, I think he was in Tri Cities or something, or in the Dub or something. And like he was, he got sent home, or he was waiting for a trade, and we spent a little bit of time together. I'm like, man, you are like one confident dude. Like he, he was by far the most confident guy I'd ever seen in his ability and in his, in his desire to like get into it with guys. And you know, I, I love the guy because he was a great teammate. And I, like I said, I saw him at the ring a couple of years ago. I think his kid's a up and coming player. And, He's like, I married it. I'm a carny. I'm a carny purse. Can you believe it? No, only you, Reno. <laughs> and uh, it's till now, he's the same guy. It's awesome. Well, there you go. Well, some of the other names I'm going to throw out that people will know. Um, a guy that was playing in trail, uh, Trevor Lawrenson. Um, played in the dub, yep. dub for a little bit. He's a tough dude. Um, and, I'll uh, tell you, man. I fought that guy. I, I know. That guy. He was 16. He was, he was 16, and, and he fucking punched me in the face like five or six times before I even knew he did it. And I, and I remember thinking, Jesus, like, this kid ballsy, and I, I, I kind of threw him around and hit him with a bunch, but I don't think I scared the guy. Like, that guy had big balls. Yep. People listening, go to my YouTube channel, type in Trevor Lawrence, and I got a bunch of his dub fights when he was with Tacoma. He puts it down pretty good. Um, another guy that was in Fernie. The Fernie Ghost Riders. I think that's like my favorite hockey name ever. I love that. What a great name, the Fernie Ghost Riders. Um, Jason Rushton. Did you ever have any run-ins <laughs> with him? So Rushton and I go back to Pee Wee hockey. 
And by the way, the Ghost Rider name, if you've ever been to Fernie and you look up in the mountain, I can't remember the name of the mountain, but there's a shadow that projects onto the mountain that looks like a guy riding a horse, like a ghost riding a horse. So you can see it from town all day long. So that name is, is like a, it's, a, it's like an homage to this, this local landmark. But Rushton is from, he's from like Port Alice or Port McNeil. They called it uh, North Island back then. So I played all my minor hockey against Jason Rushton. Peewee, Bam, two years of Peewee, two years of Bantam, two years of Midget. And that guy, left-handed, and what a fucking hockey player, man. Yeah. Like he, was with, he, was, he was one of the best hockey players on the island. And he was tough. And he was lippy. And he was game. And that whole North Island, they had a bunch of guys. The Skirlax came out of there. Jody Shelley played up there. Willie Mitchell played up there. People don't know about it, right? Northern Vancouver Island. And Jason Rushton, he's a guy that, honestly, uh, if you look, looking back on it now, clearly, he was one of the best players and toughest guys around. And I think he just—he's one of those guys who went too far on the top, on the fighting. You know what I mean? Like he's a guy that could have probably kept it a little less scrapping and made it as a player because fuck, he was good. So damn, he was tough too. And like I said, left-handed. And we scrapped first time we fought. I think I was with Cranbrook maybe, and he was with um, Creston, I think. And he came out to the bus to greet me. To say, hey man, a great fight. Remember you from minor hockey. Here's where you cut me. Here's my black eye, and uh, good, good going with you. Like he was just one of those guys back then. But he was like, Jason Rushton had a huge reputation, right? Like he was a guy that was like a man amongst boys and junior, and he was one of the best players in the league. He was also one of the toughest guys in the league. But he was only 170, 180 pounds then, right? But just looking back, and then he ended up playing a bunch of games. I think he went to Chicago or something like that, and. And he played early in the IHL at a young age, and then you know he, he really evolved into a scrapper. But I'm surprised he turned down into a scrapper because he was a hell of a player. No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, on the other name, you threw it out there, but uh, he was in Cranbrook that year with uh, Rob Skurlock. How huge? How big is that guy? Well, do you know he's got a twin brother? I don't know. He's got, he's got a twin brother, Dan. And Dan was on the Canadian track and field team for shot put. And he, and, and they're both six, six, 250 pounds. <laughs> and so, so minor hockey, like, they're a year younger. So, like, they'd be, they these Skirlak twins, and I'd be fucking chirping them, right? Asking them how they spell their name with no vowels and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and they'd both be coming at me. And they were big and clumsy, but fuck, they were game. And, like, so <laughs> coming through, to be honest, I think Dan was ahead of Rob in terms of playing, and, and Dan was in the Nanaimo camp, and we fought in camp um, a couple times. We had an inter-squad game in Nanaimo in 92-93. Rob wasn't there, Dan was. And I fought three times in that game, and Dan fought four times in that game, and they didn't throw us out. And he and I fought, I think, it was the second or third fight. And, like, that's what I'm talking about. 1992, like, oh, it's an inner buck and white game? Oh, you're going to fight four times? Oh, okay. Is your hand okay? Yeah, it's fine. Like, no one cares. Parents in the stands, kids in the stands. Like, now it's like bloody murder. But but Dan was actually ahead of Rob then. And, and I think Dan, I don't know what happened, but Rob, he basically took my spot in the Kamloops, Blazers, Cranbrook, Colts thing. So when I went to Creston, um, I don't know if it was Creston. It may have been Creston. Maybe the next year. But anyways, 
Rob kind of took my trajectory, right? And he ended up going to Cranbrook and then coming up through Camus. He's also a year younger than me. So he had a little more tread left on his tire for the junior kind of pipeline thing. But but really him and I, him and I, we're still buddies now. He lives here in, in Canmore and, and works in the oil and gas business as well. And, and we, we keep in pretty good touch. And so we, we joke all the time. We lived um, parallel life. Yeah, that he's uh yeah, and he did it for a long time. The American League there in Albany, he really he kind of really found a home there in Albany. Because man, how long was he there for? He was there for years. And uh, dude, he's got yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, which is like you know, really, I mean, at the time, you know, with the veteran rule and blah 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 and everything that goes on in the American League, it's surprising that like a tough guy like that could like homestead for that long, really. Um, so that's a great that's a great point because I remember in. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 01 or 02, somewhere in there. And it was near the end of the year, and he was in Albany, and he got sent down to Mississippi, I think, in the coast. And then he got loaned out to Portland in the A. And then the next year, he signed a two-year with Jersey. And we were in Albany one night. I I think I was with Wilkes-Barre, maybe. And I was out before the game on the bench, just kind of like checking the scoreboard and checking the ice or whatever, my kind of my long underwear. And he was out there. And like I said, like some of these guys you know since you're 12 years old, right? You're like, hey, Scurley, what's up? Hey, Porters. I'm like, hey, I got to ask you, man. How the fuck do you get sent to the coast, loan to Portland, and then sign a two-year for a raise with the original team? He's like, man, they just they think I'm good with the young guys. They want me to be a mentor. I'm like, good for you, man. Like, you're doing something right. Like, you're making good cash. You got a secure job. You got a two year deal in the minors. You play 25 games a year, and they want you to mentor people. Like, fuck, man. Props to you. But I mean, to see a guy get loaned out, sent down, loaned out, and then re signed. Yeah. Was like, to me, that just tells you what kind of character he is. Yeah. Well, like you said, I'm just looking at his thing right now. He, he turned pro 97 98 with Albany. And other than the Mississippi Portland year there in 0102. He played. He played eight years of pro, seven of it in Albany. It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. And then he got his eight games and a, and a consummate teammate. And yeah, a consummate and, then he, and then he got his every eight, fucking ninth. Yeah, and then he got his eight games in the NHL and yeah, rode off into the sunset. He got a goal, didn't he? he yeah, got a goal. Didn't, he, didn't he score a goal, Judy? He did. Yep. Yeah, good for him. Eight games, one goal, twenty-two minutes. He's on the board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, I'm no, gonna have to. I, I'm gonna have to. I, I, I wish I had that. Well, there's a lo- well, there's a lot of guys that do. A lot of guys wish they had your career too, though. Don't sell yourself short. But uh, there's uh, I might I might have to use the Steve Parsons connection to get Skurlock on this show. He'd be an interesting. Oh, guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll chat to him for sure. He'd, yeah. I'm sure he'd be into it. He'd have a few stories I could imagine. So. He's awesome. He's, those Jersey guys, him and John Stone and Surrey and all that crop that came through together at the same time as young guys. Uh, I'm chums with all of them, and they they got the best stories because Lou Lamorello was was like such a unique guy, right? But uh, that's cool, man. Well, we well well, you have a very unique tale here, especially starting this next season, ninety four ninety five. You start in the BC League with the Royal City Outlaws, and all of a sudden you find yourself in Quebec, in the <laughs> Quebec Major Junior League, playing for Laval. Titan, and uh, take us through that travel. You start like, did you start in Royal City in the BC League? 
so yeah man it's fucked up because elite prospects like when you play in shitty leagues like i did they, i shouldn't say shitty leagues that's so rude because the guys are random but not high level leagues will say they weren't dub leagues they're, they're not even on elite prospects i've opened mine up here tonight to see that there's rocky Mountain some rmjhl stuff on there which is really cool it's missing a bunch but there's some there yep at any rate um i, I started that year that was it so that was an abbreviated year for me and i remember sitting um I think at the end of that year, um, it wasn't, I, I was already a year into my draft. Like I think I was, a, I was like a 93 draft eligible guy and the 94 draft. I, I want to say that like 10 Camus Blazers got drafted. Probably. Yeah. And it felt like, yeah, like it was like literally like Don again, like all those guys were drafted and we had like 10 guys draft Westerby and Josephson and, Fucking, I don't know if Skrillex got drafted or not, but like, there's a whole shitload of guys. And I, and I remember watching it, thinking to myself, like, fuck am I dumb? Like, how did I let that go? Like, I was right there. Like, I just kind of hung in there. And, and so I made this, this commitment to myself that the next year I was going to make this comeback and I was going to do whatever it took to... And I'm looking at my stats now and I've got, like, one game, five games, 28 games. Well, it doesn't... It's not a fair representation. I think I had 50 games in Cranbrook unaccounted for and whatever. So I make this commitment and I end up in Royal city and they're an expansion team. And I was probably a bit overkill for them. Like they had a young team they had a bunch of rookies they had some older guys, but I was like really aggressive. I was really probably overkill for the league. And, and one day the coaches brought me in and said, listen, man, like, you know, you're fucking challenging benches. You know, you're trying to fight guys. You're you're creating big scrums. And he's like, we don't have any, we don't, that's not our team. He's like, you don't fit us. Like, this isn't going to work. Like, you can't, you can't be starting line brawls with four other 15 or 16 year olds on the ice. I'm like, well, you're mad at me because I'm too aggressive? Yep. Oh, my God. And, I, and it's a junior A league, right? So yeah. it's, it's not a dub league, right? Like, you know, and so, I was trying to get back to Major Junior, right? It was, an, it was a goal every game. And um, we get fucking smoked all the time. And so the coach just one day just said, listen, we're going we're gonna to part ways. And so I got sent home. It was around Thanksgiving. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I called, uh, I called Eddie Mountain in Cranbrook and said, hey, man, like, it's Thanksgiving. And I don't know what I'm going to do now. And he said, can you meet us in Kamloops? We're, we're passing through. We're going on the northern swing. I'll, uh, I'll sign it. So I got to Kamloops and met the team in the middle of the night, got on the bus, and now I was a 19-year-old. And I'd already played, you know, 17, 18. I'm into my 19th year. Um, you know, the, trying to get back to Major Junior and trying to trying to get to the dub. And um, I went to Cranbrook, and I was – kind of under like surveillance if you will a little bit like i was you know i was a bit of a troublemaker is the right word but i i got in some trouble off the ice in some of these towns just junior hockey stuff right drinking and partying scrapping and blowing curfew and not unusual behavior right but you know in small town stuff you kind of get you know they, they don't love that so anyways they bring me back and i'm and i'm, do, I'm behaving myself and um, the NHL lockout was that year. And um, 
I remember they, the NHL was bringing a, an exhibition to town, and it was literally like Kevin Lowe, Paul Correa, Sandy McCarthy, Paul Cruz, Shane Corson, all these guys that played for the Flames and the Oilers. They they were doing a tour through the Kootenays. And um, I was at home, believe it or not, in time for my curfew. And my billet sister called me up, and she's like, hey, she's like, I'm down at Jughead's, which is the local bar. She's like, and all these NHLers are down here. And I used to I used to hang out down there a little bit and, and um, work some of the weekend shifts. If we didn't have games or whatever, I'd work the door. I'd be hanging out at the bar or whatever. It's whatever. I don't have to explain that, but... So I'm like, all right, I'm on my way. So I kind of bust out curfew, and I go down to the bar, and um, I knew Paul Cruz from Summer Skates and Kamloops, and so, but I was a big fan of Sandy McCarthy. Yep. And uh, and I'm like, hey man, like, want to introduce me to Sandy? <laughs> He's like, no problem. So he introduced me to Sandy. We have a couple of drinks, and then uh, outside, maybe had a smoke or something like that, and then and. Um, he, he asked me what I was doing. I told him I was 19, and, and he asked me my story. And Cruiser was vouching for me. He's like, oh, the kid's fine. Like, he's a big, strong guy. He can play. But, you know, and I said, Camelops has my rights. They still have my dub rights. And, and really, like, I'm just kind of toiling in junior A right now, hoping to get a shot. And he's like, well, I was just skating in Laval last week with the Titan, and the Morissette brothers, the owners, told me if I see any tough guys in Western Canada, to send them out. Because they're tough guy." broke his hand and it was jeff mercer like you shitting me he's like no i'm serious he said would you go i said fuck i'd go and so we parted that night or whatever i went home next day i went i don't know what i did i, I was out of the house i came back my billet incidentally is phil rennie what a great guy he's, he's tom rennie's brother so he was my billet and he's like hey i got a, you got a message from sandy mccarthy uh, come on He's like, no, he called. This is his number. You're shitting me. He's like, no, he called. And the back then, no cell phones. We're on house phones, right? Yeah. So uh, I call him back, and he's in Calgary now. And he's like, hey, I talked to Jean-Claude Morissette and uh, J.C. Morissette, and um, they want to know if you'll give him a call. So I phoned this guy in Quebec, and he's the owner of the team. And he says, I heard you're a tough guy from Western Canada and you played for the Blazers and you want to come play for a Lucky 10. I said, yeah, I sure do. <laughs> and they, they lost in the final at home to Kamloops for the Memorial Cup that year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And or the previous season, well, that season Kamloops was hosting the Memorial Cup. And so, Here's me, I think, putting two and two together, being like, fuck, I go to Laval. they got a strong team. They're first in the league right now. We went out Q. We go to Kamloops. I got a shot to win the Memorial Cup in Kamloops. Yep. So I said, yeah. So I fucking hopped the plane to Montreal and showed up there at the airport. The trainer picked me up and took me to a some sort of dorm. And the next day at practice, we went through the practice. And at the end of the practice, it kind of split us up into two ends. And they line us up kind of at the hash marks, and they're playing like one-on-one out of the corner. It's my turn to go. And they fucking stop, and they pull a guy from the back of the line, guy named Frederick Jobin, played for Washington system and the minors forever. 
and they put him up against me. He said, you guys go against each other. And I looked at him. He was a big, strong kid. And I just looked at him. The fuck went in the corner. And I think I fucking elbowed him and punched him and cross-checked him four or five times and dangled the middies. And he just he just shook his head no. And we kind of played it out. And the team called me over to the bench. And they signed me on, signed me to a contract they had on the bench. And I uh, I joined the team. And I played the rest of the year for Michelle Therrien. I fought everybody I could possibly fight out there. I think a couple guys I didn't fight, like Larocque, I didn't fight, but not without trying. And um, the next year they called me, they said, you got any more Western Canadian boys, send them out. <laughs> so I, I didn't. And, they, and the next year they, they sold Laval, bought Granby, and won the cup. And they, and, they, and they were asking, yeah, so kind of a fucked up thing, but um, it's cool, man. Like it was, uh, it, you know, I lived in Montreal as a 19-year-old. And my roommates were uh, Anders Mirvold and Jeff Mercer. And we had the House of Pain. And Michelle Perrien just would send me out like a hitman. And I knew my my role. And I was the only, you know, there was only a couple of guys from Western Canada out there. And fuck, man, it was awesome. Um, well, well, let's let's get into life in, uh, in the Quebec League. We're gonna throw. I'm gonna throw some names at you. There's there's definitely a lot of names that people out there will know in terms of the tough guys. Um, well, first of all, um, you know we we've heard Terry Ryan's uh, his his uh, feelings on Therry, uh, Michelle Therion. What are yours? Um, I mixed feelings, right? Like. I knew what I was signing up for and I knew what he wanted and I knew what he wanted me to do. And, and I was okay with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but would I ever like, would I ever send one of my friend's kids there to do that? No fucking way. You know what I mean? Like I remember one night we were in Hull and we had a big rivalry with them and they had LP Charbonneau, Peter Worrell, Jordy Dwyer, Colin White, they had all these guys. Yep. And we we're on the bench, and like, and, 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 and on that rink, that whole, the old whole rink, the benches were across from each other, across the ice. And Terry and loved to be part of the game. And he was, yeah, I remember him on the bench, and, he, and something's going on on the ice, and he's fucking yelling at the other coach, and he stands up one of our guys, I'll say Jason Birmingham, who was like, you know, not a fighter, but like a gritty, 170, 180 pound guy, right? And he stands, Birmingham stands up. And so Birmingham stands up and, and another coach, and he looks down his bench and he gets one of his guys to stand up. And they're literally like sizing the two up as a match. And they kind of shake their heads. And, and at this point, it's becoming theater. And he gets someone else to stand up and they size each other up. And, <laughs> and, and, they, and, and they shake their heads. And he looks at me, Parson, stand up, big boy. I fucking stand up and he looks up and down his bench and I, I think he tapped a guy named Sean Farmer and, and they agreed and they nodded back and forth and they put us on the ice and the fucking face off puck drops and we fight and, and I, I think I you know I, I didn't kill the guy but I'm, I'm pretty you know I'm pretty sure I won the fight and, and he's clapping his hands and he's, he, he, he's he's like he's like the slave owner he was so fucking happy you know um, and it, it, that was that's just the way it was, right? Like, you know, um, I got tons of stories of like he'd start me and be like, "Hey, you know, like this guy off the draw," or he'd pull me before the game and be like, he'd circle the numbers on the roster and be like, "These are the guys tonight, you know, don't let them get out of line." 
I know you don't know everybody, so I'm helping you out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And he'd circle like seven guys' names. <laughs> like, just seven, hey? Just, there's only seven of those guys, hey? Right on. And so, um, but he really, you know what? Like, if, you know, you look at my career, like the most playoff games I ever played was for him, you know, and um, I had some other runs that don't necessarily show, but, you know, he, he, he liked me, right? He, for what I did. Now, if I would have not done what I was supposed to do, um, you know, he wouldn't have liked me. I remember one night we were playing, well, it was whole again, different night. And uh, he told me, you know, I want you to go deal with uh, Gordy Dwyer. So, fuck, I go run around out there. Come on, Dwyer, we're going. Let's fucking go, buddy. I'm not going, you. Fuck that. No way. You're, you're 19. I'm 18. You're too big. Go fight somebody else. I'm like, no, we're fucking going. Let's go. And he wouldn't go. So I go back to the bench and carry in great in my ear. What happened? Why didn't you fight him? I said, he says he won't go. He says, he says no. I don't care if he says no. Hit him with your glove on. All right. Next shift out there, a couple shifts later. Hey, let's go, Dwyer. Let's go. He's like, I'm not fucking going, you man. Like, don't get beat. What are you going to beat me up? Like, that's not, I'm not into that. I said, if you don't do it, I'm going to fucking punch you in the head. And he's like, well, don't punch me in the head. So I punched him in the head and fucking dropped him. And now, like, it would, like, it would have got, it would get me 10, 20 games for a sucker punch now. Like, it, in hindsight, well, at the time, it didn't feel like a sucker punch. Looking at it now, it's a sucker punch. <laughs> and you know what I mean? At the time, it felt like, okay, man, like we're, we're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting. And then I just kind of, I crossed the line, I snapped, and I, I got a bunch of those incidents in my career. So I'm no angel. And, uh. Is yeah, it, is it really cool. a sucker punch, though, if you tell the guy you're going to do it? <laughs> I didn't think so. That's why I did it, right? Like, yeah. Like to me, the art of war is if we're, if we're fighting, if you know we're in a fight, like, fucking get your hands up. Like, yeah. and so, you know, hey, man, I'm going to hit you. I got to go. Yeah, I got to go. Let's go. Let's go. No, 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 no. Wham. Now what? You know, and now he's fucking laying on the ice. And then I think I end up fighting Peter Worrell later that game. And again, the 19, 17-year-old thing. He was a 6'6", 230-pounder, but he was 17, and I was 19. So I had all this confidence, right? And he's a big prick, too, and he could fight, right? Like, yep. And he ended up being one of the toughest guys in the NHL for a while, and you know, I just remember back to being like in juniors, where you know he he, he wasn't he wasn't like he wasn't a pro, obviously. But Carrion had no problem sending guys out to go, no problem. Well, and that, like you said, with that league, it's um, there was there were some big names in that league at the time in terms of tough guys, and I know um, we said in Saint John there, uh, Larock George was there, obviously. Uh, uh, you were, you said you didn't uh, have any, you didn't you didn't fight George. No, not without trying. So George, so funny that that league. Um, there's brothers, the Morissette brothers, and they owned Laval, and they owned the Saint Jean Lynx, and one of the brothers owned part of Granby. So there's four or five brothers who owned three of the teams, and so in Laval, you know. Um, the billet that I had, there's me, this guy named Andrews Mirvold from Norway, and Jeff Mercer, who was the old 20-year-old. We all lived together in a billet, and they gave us a car. And so I remember going to trade our car in. I don't know what the deal was. I, I Who knows who people that run used car lots, especially Montreal business owners, right? Who knows what the fuck's really going on, but whatever. So one day we went there, 
to get her car picked up or changed out, and George was there. And we met, and, and he, he was, you know, he's George LaRock. He, you know, he's, he's 18 years old, and he's the toughest guy in the league, and everybody knows it, right? And then when you're the toughest guy in the league, you know it, and so does everybody else. Yeah. There's no, there's no fucking, there's no fucking around. Like, when Brant Myers was in the dub, he was the toughest guy. When Barker was in the dub, he was the toughest guy. You know, Rocky might have something to say about that, but whatever. Like, you know who the toughest guy are. George was the toughest guy in the queue. And it was about a week or two before a TSN game. And we met. And I remember, like, you know, we didn't shake hands. And we're just kind of staring at each other and nodding. I said, see you next Friday. He said, oh, yeah. And then it was a TSN game. And um, I remember because uh, Ryan Walter was, was commentating and on the broadcast he was mentioning that it came from a backwoods league in Cranbrook and stuff like that and it's kind of funny but I asked George to go and he says no no he goes you're a fourth liner he says I don't fight fourth liners I'm like fuck you like fight fourth liners George like that's brutal I can't tell a guy that you're not you're not that fucking good you're not you're not Denny Savard no 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 I'm not fighting you I'm not fighting you so he wouldn't fight me I, I probably could have pressed the issue a little more and done a few things but at the same time, right, like, I was always on the undisciplined line all the time. So I'm sure I did do something to try and get his attention. But, no, you know, he, I don't think he was afraid of me. I just don't think he wanted to lose to me either. And um, Not on a TSN yeah, game. Didn't didn't. <laughs> Not on a TSN game. I was willing to, right? And I remember, you know, blatantly being like, let's fucking go, man. And uh, I don't fight fourth liners. Oh, Martin Grenier told me that once, too. What are you fucking Ray Bork? What are you you, you, you fucking Ray Bork? You're in, you're in the American League tank for Springfield. You won't fight me because you don't fight fourth liners. Grenier said Jesus, that. Man. Yeah, Grenier said that to me one night. Well, fuck, like what are and, these, uh, these bodangles out there all of a sudden? That's what I said. I was like, what the, <laughs> the fuck are you to say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, another guy on that team was, uh, and he he went on and played in the in the infamous Quebec League and. Uh, Big bodybuilder dude, and there's some, there's some stories about him. But uh, uh, Ron Valente, Ronnie Valente, who did he play for? Say Jean. Oh yeah, I don't remember him. Okay, I don't remember playing. I remember his name from the LIH, but I don't yeah. remember him from the league. Nathan Moran was a tough guy in the league, not with Saint John. He was with Saint High of Saint. Yeah, and I I kind of got to jump on him one night and fed him with a bunch of uppercuts. And he came back at me one night, and, and I don't know, my, my balls were tight, and I wasn't into it, and he fucking made me look bad. And um, he was a tough guy. He wasn't very big. He was like that Louis Bedard style. He's about 5'10 lefty that wasn't afraid. And, you know, sometimes you're just not, sometimes you're not feeling it, right? Yep. And uh, he was a guy that, he, I got the better of him, and he came back at me with a grudge, and he got the better of me. Well, one guy I know you did fight because I just watched the video before we got going here when Boop in Beauport was, uh, and of course everybody knows this name, and of course he went on to, well, <laughs> for a number of things, uh, was Patrick Cote. Yeah, Patrick Cote. I got a great, I thought it was a pretty good fight actually. We traded a lot of blows, went quite a while. Yep. Um, yeah, I think he was a lefty, I'm not sure, but he, he threw with both hands. And and he Bopor was a real good team. They had him. Um, they had they had someone else on the back end who was real tough too. Terrio. Um, they had, they had a, Joel Terrio. Yeah, Joel Terrio. That's exactly what it was. Yep. And did you fight and, him? And um, 
I, I think so. I don't recall. Um, it, it doesn't stick out. I don't remember. Not for not for not being ready or willing to. Um, sometimes you know, with, when you're playing for Mike Carrion, you you fight when you're told to fight, and you don't fight when you're not when you're told not to fight. You don't fight either, right? It was very it was very pointed, you know. Like so, I don't recall fighting Terrio. Um, fighting Cote at least once, maybe twice. Um, I think we played in the Quebec Coliseum one time actually, and there was like literally like ten thousand fans. And um, I, you know, some of the as you know, finding footage on things and and score sheets is, is a real for that era because it's not digital, right? It's just, it's, it's all archived stuff. So I remember just you know in there, and it's all French, and it's in their rink, and it's totally hostile environment. Um, and I think Joe Canale was the coach, and he was also like a junior coach, and he was super famous, and his, the rivalry was really intense. And you can, and they fucking smoked in the rink then too, right? Like, <laughs> so you could cut the tension, right? You could cut the tension with it. And, um, you know, Cote was, he had a big reputation, and he was tough. But that whole league had guys, man. Like, yeah. like every team, PJ Stock was in the league then, and people didn't realize how tough he was. People were like, oh, he's a little guy. That fucker could fight. Yep. Like, he gave the guys all they could handle. Jody Shelley was in the league then. You know, Charbonneau, Bedard, uh, Theriot, Laroc, Cote. Like, everybody had someone. Well, yeah, Matthew Rabbi, uh, Remy Ray, yeah. Alan Nazardine, yeah. Andre Waugh. Yeah, Raw was in Drummondville. I, I know I fought him. Um, Marty Jean, LePage. Jean-Luc Grandpierre. You know Jean-Luc Grandpierre, I, I think he was in like Val d'Or. You know yes. who was super tough and didn't get? I always thought he was going to be an NHL killer. It was a guy named Martin LaMarche. Yes. Like, oh, he, I thought I thought, I, was gonna, I, thought I was going to beat him up one night. And he hit me with a fucking eight in a row, put me on my arse. <laughs> and in I think he switched halfway in Shawinigan, in the, the cataract. So that that particular game, Perrion sent me out, and I fought a guy, and I fucking beat him up or whatever. And he was a low hanging fruit guy. I don't want to be rude or disrespectful, but he was he wasn't a, he wasn't a heavy, and I should have beat him. And Perrion's playing the crowd, and he's smiling, and then he throws me out there, kind of like the whole story earlier I talked about, in a kind of really pointed direction, and and Lamarche comes out. He fucking beat me up. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the, the camera goes to Terry Ann and he's biting his lip and he looks all nervous and frustrated. He looks, he, he looks more upset than I did that I, that I, that I lost this fight. And like, it's like his soldier lost. Like he was, he was embarrassed. And, you know, and like props to Lamarche. Like he was a tough, he was a tough, tough guy. And he, and he, he did what he had to do and he did the right thing. He did, he did what he was supposed to do. And I just remember that one. Right? That one. That was, a, that was one of those tough losses because it didn't hurt. But it was really embarrassing. Well, they, um, yeah. Well, and like you said, you went all the way to the league final, and and I believe you lost to Hull. Actually, I believe so. Game six or something like that. We lose to Hull, and Hull goes to Laval or Tamu's for the Memorial Cup. Yeah, and um, you know we were right there. I, you know, look in hindsight, I think. Um, you know, I think our, our top guns were burnt out, and I recall that we we were a good team. And we rode two lines, and I didn't play much. I dressed every game. You can see, like I, I dressed all the time, but I didn't play, right? So, you know, you're, you're running with nine, ten forwards. Is that because I'm not good enough, or because the coach doesn't put you in a situation in February, you know, January, February, March, 
it's what you can play. Like I've, I've done a lot of coaching since I've retired. And one of the things I pride myself on is making sure that those, those fourth liners are good enough to help you win, you know, in the spring. Yeah. If you just run with two or three lines all season long, by the time you fucking need these guys, when you're playing every other night and back to back in playoffs, you know, your fourth liners are, they're not good enough because you don't play them. I mean, they have no confidence. And so I'm not convinced that, you know, and I mean, I'm not second guessing Mikey or Michelle. I mean, I am second guessing fucking guy coaching the NHL, you know, how many games, I don't know, a thousand games maybe coaching in the NHL and, you know, played two lines, yeah. you know, and so, you know, we lost to a, we lost to a team that just frankly played all four lines and they, I don't, they weren't any better than us. They were younger than us, but they just, they, they outlasted us. And uh, that was a piss off because uh, I was really looking forward to going back to Camus. No doubt. Um, yeah, it's interesting as as you as you tell the story in Quebec, and of course, um, you know just the the whole vibe there back then, and with the with the fighting and the violence, and um, you know, and then of course everybody knows the LNAH and <laughs> the craziness that in that league a decade later uh, from when you were when we're talking about. But there's always been that culture in Quebec and in that junior league. I know out west here we always like to talk how badass the dub is and everything, and it is, but. Uh, Quebec's a different flavor, man. That's a different scene over there, dude. It's gangster, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. literally. Like I remember, like we were living in Laval, Montreal, and we would go to like a nightclub, and like in hindsight, these are these were like well, the, the Hell's Angels and the Rock Machine. They're running all the the nightclubs in Montreal at the time, and here we are, a bunch of junior players chugging cheap beer, trying to wheel chicks and, and be funny, right? And like we're lucky we didn't get hurt, right? We're lucky we didn't get ourselves in some trouble, you know. And and I and I like I, you know looking back on it, there was guys there like bar managers and owners and local people around town that they looked out for us for sure. Yeah. Because not only off the ice, but like not only on the ice, the culture and the vibe, but off the ice, you know. And in fact, that New Year's Eve, we were a bunch of us were involved in a big brawl on New Year's Eve, and there was arrests. And it was in the paper, and there was media, and you know I'm not sitting here saying I'm innocent. Well, I am innocent. Actually, I wasn't involved in the fight at all. I, I I actually came upon it looking for the guys, and you know asking where my buddies were, and they asked me who I was looking for, and I told them, and they arrested me. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then when I get to jail, my teammates are there. I'm like, what happened? And they're like, oh, there was a big fight. I'm like, I missed it. And um, one of the guys that was part of it against us was in the cell next to us. And I literally sweet talked my way out of my cell. I told the guards that I was uh this is a crazy story, we wanna cut this one, but I told the guards that I had a group in the in my cell was gonna beat the shit on me and they had to move me. And so they were taking me and they're gonna move me into the next cell with this guy before he said, No, 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 he's coming here to kick my ass And uh and they stopped it with this big kerfuffle and they they kinda roughed me up pretty bad actually, the cops. And so when they were trying to get us um you know, with the with the team was talking to them about what you know what was going to happen. They're like, "Fuck, man! Like, you, you you beat up one of our players." And I, 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 you know, I get I got roughed up pretty bad. And I'm like, "They're like, you, you, I think the punishment's enough. Like, you, you know, you arrest my guys, you, you beat a couple of them up. One, you know, like I think we're good." So, anyways, that was a long, long time ago. But it, it made the hockey news and it made the papers and and then then it went away. It just it, it went away, right? None of us got in any trouble over it. It, it kind of got taken care of. And so it just goes to show that the whole culture out there, like, 
you're either the, you're either the what do you say you're either the bug or the windshield you know and and you know out there we you know things we, we kind of got that was kind of trying of things to come i think for the senior league where where it just kind of evolved into, into the grown men part yeah um well, I don't, not for now. I just got to like, just, uh, while I'm thinking about it, and you mentioned it before we leave Quebec here. Um, obviously, um, how, how many times were you offered to go to the LNAH? And did you think about, and did you seriously think about it? Well, I did. I was offered a few times, quite a few times. But, you know, um, keep in mind, you know, when I, when I left Providence, not even Providence. Um, the first, the next year, um, when I left Providence, I left with a broken wrist, severely broken wrist, and I ended up having a couple surgeries in season, a couple off season, and then another half a dozen after that. So from 2002 to 2004, I had like 10 operations on my hand and my wrist, and that's when that LNAH was really getting going. Yep. And my teammate was uh, Dominic Perna, who ended up being a captain of one of those. In Laval. Um, yeah. yeah, Laval. And local Italian guy, played with me in Laval. He was actually a 16-year-old or 17-year-old center. I always said, you're the safest guy in the whole league, man. Do whatever you want out here. And uh, he called me. He called me all the time. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, Dom, I gotta, I know, man, I, my hand is in a cast. I'm literally going in, into, I'm flying to Boston next week for another surgery. I'm going to Rochester for another surgery. Like, I had some pretty, pretty serious damage done to my hand and my wrist. So he called me quite a bit, but by that stage, I was pretty much done, um, fighting for sure. I, you know, I, I wasn't intimidated to go. Like I was, I, you know, I knew those guys. I was like, fuck, man, those are all guys I've seen in the minors. They're all guys I've seen in junior. You know, some are bigger than they used to be, but that doesn't mean a whole shitload in a hockey fight. So I, I'm not worried about that. Um, but I wasn't healthy. I yeah. wasn't healthy. I wasn't healthy until probably 2008 or nine, really. Um, and by then, you know, I was so far gone that, you know, far beyond it that it wasn't going to happen. So I got calls, but I wasn't healthy anyways, which is why I didn't fight in the enforcers. I had a cast on my hand when I was voting that. Okay. Well, there we go. All right. We're back here. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, you lose to Hall in the final, and uh, the Steve Parsons Quebec uh, saga comes to an end. Um, so, as a 20 year old, um, the following season, I know you played in uh, in the BC League with the Nino for thirty six games. You're also in Fernie in the Rocky Mountain again for fourteen. I can't imagine a twenty year old in the Rocky Mountain League after you know fighting Cote and all these guys in the Quebec Major Junior League. I mean, you must have. They would have thought the Boogeyman showed up in the Rocky Mountain League. Yeah, man. That's, I'm glad you picked up on that because that's exactly what happened. So. Um, what, what, what my hockey DB isn't showing is, uh, the Cranbrook Colts. So I played for the Cranbrook Colts in 92, 93. I played again there in 94, 95. And, and when I went to Laval, Eddie Mountain, who was a general manager of Cranbrook was like, listen, man, I, I picked you up off the scrap heap on Thanksgiving and gave you a place to play and gave you enough structure to get your shit together to go to the queue promise me you'll come play for me next year if you can you know promise me because i'm going to help i'm going to hold your rights so um what happened was is is that year after i was in laval 
Eddie sold his interest of the team, I guess. I don't know if he owned it or whatever he was doing. He got out of the Cranbrook team and he took over the Fernie team. And so I, as a 20 year old, I actually a fucked up thing, man. Like I, I had this, my agent at the time, I ended up, Sandy McCarthy hooked me up with his agent and I, and I was dealing with his agent's assistant and they were like, yeah, no, we got you a PTO in, um, Atlanta and the IHL and a contract in Nashville and the East Coast League. And I was, that would have been for 95, 96 as a 20 year old. And I'm not shitting you when I tell you this. They told me this thing was being FedEx to my house and it literally never showed up. Like, can you imagine that? <laughs> hey man, hey, it's on its way. It'll be there in a couple of days. It's coming from Nashville or Atlanta. And, and then, then she calls me and, and he's like, or he's like, did, did you get it? I'm like, no, it's not here. He's like, well, let's confirm your address. And like, so I did all this shit. And it never showed up. And so like, what the fuck is that? So anyway, um, I call Eddie. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, no major junior team was picking up as an overage. No East Coast League team calling me. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, why don't you come to Fernie? And we'll go from there. So I went to Fernie and... Like my stats, whatever they were, I think I had a point a game and I had a bunch of pims and I was a 20 year old with a beard right out of the <laughs> Quebec league and complete overkill, complete over. Anytime I got a point in the game, first of all, that's too much for me in any league. And I just went to Eddie and I hurt my knee pretty bad. Actually. I think I, I went to hit a guy with knee on knee, sprained my knee. I had to go to Lethbridge, have a surgery on my knee. They did an arthroscopic surgery on my knee. And then I was coming back to Fernie and I had to sit out for like three weeks or something like that. So I just went to Eddie and I just like, Hey man, like I'm going to go home to Nanaimo and just spend a couple of weeks there while I rehab. And then when I got there, I went to a Clipper game, which is my hometown. It's a better league. I just phoned Eddie. I said, listen, man, like, can you trade me please to Nanaimo? Like, I, I, I love you, but you know, me getting a point of game in that league is not good for, me or you. And so they traded me to Nanaimo, my hometown. I was a 20-year-old. So I ended, that's how it kind of ended up in, in, from Fernie to Nanaimo. Full circle. I started in Nanaimo in 92, 93, and I finished there in 95, 92. No, absolutely. Well, and like you said, there's some tough dudes floating around the, in the old BC League there. I'm going to throw a few names at you. You know, you had Vernon, you had Blaine McCauley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Merritt. I think Chad Kamek was there too, actually. Yeah. And then Merritt, you had Brad Essex. Number eight, the captain. Yeah, sir. He had Chris Wilson. Um, Langley had a 15 year old named Stephen Pete. <laughs> he asked me to fight. I thought he was kidding. <laughs> Can you Did believe that go? though? Like that guy had like he had like 200 minutes. He's like 15, playing in the BC League. A friend of mine actually has some footage from Langley that year, and like Pete dummies guys, and he's like 15. I'm not saying he, he would have dummied you. I'm just saying he dummied guys in the BC League as a 15-year-old, which is insane. Dude, I was running a turtleneck fucking sweater with tape chin strap and a beard and all the all the, all the, the sleeves, the toughest look a guy could have in junior, you know, just trying to keep people at base so I could play. And he's like, hey, you want to go? We're going. I said, fuck, I'm not fighting you. Like, are you like 15? I'm not afraid of you. I'm like, 
that's not the point. Like, if I beat you up, I'm beating up a minor, first of all. <laughs> Secondly, if you beat me up, like, that's the most embarrassing thing that will ever happen to me. No, I'm not fighting you. And I, I think I fought somebody else. Um, I don't know if Winger was on that team or Ernst or someone else was there that I ended up fighting. Well, Winger was in Royal City. Um, that, that that's year. right, too. Did you have... He well, was in, yeah. Obviously, we get it later on in your career. Obviously, you have a run in with them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to that. That's the one everybody knows about. But uh, did you <laughs> did you guys tangle it all in the BC League? Yeah, I think we did actually. And he was in Langley the year before too, right? And he had all those pims. Him and that other fellow, uh, Ernst maybe or something like Eric that. Or, yep. Yeah, those two racked up a whole bunch of pims in there in Langley, and I was in Royal City, and then. And then the next year, he was in Royal City, and I think we got into it one night. Again, so I told you I grew up in uh, Squamish. Well, Linger's from the Sun, or Winger is from the Sunshine Coast, Seashell Gibson's area. And so that's just up the way. So we played all of our minor hockey against each other. So I remember back in Adam and Pee Wee Winger being out there and, and my dad telling me, you know, watch out for that number 44 or whatever number he was. And I'm like, Dad, we're, we're 10. He's like, yeah, I know, but he's been fucking taking shots at you and stuff. You know, you can't let that happen. I'm like, I don't know if he's taking shots at me. Yeah, but okay. But, I mean, even at that young of an age, Winger and I had a feud. <laughs> well, yeah, Hilarious. It, well, it, it, it comes to a head a few years later. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um well, like you said, you had a, you know, the strong season in BC and, uh, as a 20. And, um, you know, at this point, um, are you, uh, is like pro something you want to pursue or are you sort of just like, okay, now what? Like, you know, still waiting for that FedEx. I mean, uh, you know, what's your feeling right? after the season's done and you're, uh, well, essentially turning 21 and pro it's pro or go work for a living. Like, Right, so I remember being on the bus, and one of my uh, one of my teammates, his name was Ray Guze, and he he's he's uh, he died a few years ago in a, in a in down in Costa Rica actually in a really questionable death, to be honest. But uh, rest in peace, Ray. He was he was an amazing guy and teammate, and he could say to me, "What are you going to do? What are you going to do?" And like they were all guys were lining up, you know. ACAC leagues or whatever they're going to do. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to the East Coast League or something. I'm going to go try and make it. Oh, you're going to go live the dream, Parse? So you're going to go try and live the dream? And he said, he poked fun at it, right? And I was like, yeah. Like, fuck, man. Like, aren't you? <laughs> and um, I was, I, you know, I, I had that, that 18 year old, that 18 year old year was a real bad year for me. And, and the 19 year old year was the comeback and I achieved my goals and 20, you know, like I was never a, an all-star player, but I was an important player to my team. And so I had some confidence. I wanted to change it. So I, um, I didn't have any offers though. I no, no one wanted me at 21. So I was going to go to Red Deer College and, um, I was all accepted and, um, I got a call from Bakersfield asking me if I wanted to come down and, and try out. And, you know, that whole that whole thing was like, I think they agreed to pay me 325 a week. And then when I got there and got through camp, when they finally put my put me in the room and said, okay, we're going to keep you, but we're only going to pay you 275. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
I'm like, 275 bucks a week? They're like, yeah, but you know, you know, you, you got a free apartment. I'm like, yeah, but I've, I've been in that apartment for like a month. I don't. Even, I had to buy my own sheets. Like, I, I, I can barely eat. They're like, oh, well, take it or leave it. And uh, Keith Getsky was the coach. And I, I fought all through camp. And then I think my very first game, home opener, my first fight was against uh, Greg Spenrath, believe it or not. Like, can I pick a fucking bigger guy to fight? The captain of uh, Fresno? There you, I was going like, to say, you're announcing your presence with authority. <laughs> How'd the fight go with the Viking? Really good. I'm glad you called him the Viking because no one else knew it. Like, yeah, the Viking. He wore a Jofa. He had handlebars. He was number 27. And... What happened was there was a scrum on the ice and I'm on the bench and he's over talking to the refs and he's skating back across the ice and I'm staring at him literally like kind of in awe, like, holy fuck, who's that guy? Glad I don't got to fight him. And he looks right at me and goes, what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> and before I can say anything, the coach kicks me in the ass and goes, get out there. And the referees are over sorting out something at the penalty box. So I fucking jump the bench and fight him between whistles at center ice and do really good to the point that I'm we get kicked out of the game and I'm in the locker room and he comes into the locker room and fucking shakes my hand and tells me how proud of me. He says, I heard you're from Vancouver. I'm from Vancouver too, or I lived there or something like that. He came in, he was like, he was like awesome. He's like, man, you're tough. And he's like, fuck, I thought I was going to shit kick you and you did really good. And he's like pumping my tires in the locker room. You, you don't hear about that kind of stuff anymore, even then, right? But um, it was good. Like, I didn't get hurt or nothing. I wasn't afraid. I was confident with it. And then um, I don't know what happened. I just wasn't fitting in. Keith Gretzky, he, he was he was the coach, and he was a he was a cocksucker to me, and whatever. I, I mean, I'm easy to be a cocksucker, too, because, like, you know, I'm fighting, I'm lippy, and I'm not that good, and I'm not that tough, but I'm always there, and it, it's easy to – I like to have a laugh, so – he just he just kind of shit on me enough one day, and then all of a sudden he just fucking traded me to Reno. And I was like, all right. Well, I know. Some, well, some of the cats that in Bakersfield. Before we go there, I mean, you had Rob Milliken, Kevin Barrett, Cipriano, Mark Cipriano. He was awesome. Of all the guys I ever played with, like, he's one of those guys that I look back on. I probably had the most respect for. He wasn't very big. He was super fucking tough. He always cheered me on. Um, he he was a good player. Um, he was really good to me. I love that guy so much. I, I lost touch with him, but he's one of those guys that I just fucking love, Cipriano. Cubanville was there. He was tough. He was really tough. I ended up fighting him. So we were buddies. He's from Duncan. We played minor hockey together against each other, and he was like a killer. In minor hockey, like literally like six feet tall, 180 pounds, and bantam. Like, Jesus, man. Um, but when I was at Reno, I ended up fighting him. I doing real good. And uh, they caught me anyways, sitting home. But Duffy, he was uh, one of the toughest guys around. Yeah. Well, hey, well, we can't just glaze over Reno. I got to ask you a few questions. Of course, Ron Flockhart's yeah. the coach in Reno. And uh, was or was he still there when you were the coach or was Clouston the coach? He was, man. Flocky hockey. He traded for me. And we played preseason in Bakersfield, Reno, and Fresno. We did a preseason tournament. And I... I, I played my balls off and backing up here, my, I was a D man coming all the way through Pee Wee Bantam midget. And every time I got to a team, they, they put me on the wing 
and and it was a way to get me in the lineup without giving me lots of ice time. And and Flocky, I was playing D for a bit in Baco and then forward, but then in Reno, Flocky's like, I love you as a D man, buddy. I love you back there. You're hard. You're mean. You're good. And I fought a few times, played lots, and then I'll never forget. It was a, it was a game day. Ben Ray-Ohm was on the team. Yep. And uh, we've been to Alaska, and I can't remember who I fought. I want to say Richards, but might have been Cordomarsh. No, he was in San Diego. Um, might have been Trevojevic, the guy that he speared in the face. <laughs> J- Jason um, at- Jason Smear. Yeah, Schmierzy was up there. I didn't fight Schmierzy. I think I fought for Chibovayevich, but Schmierzy was there running around. I remember he was a 20-year-old playing in the league, and I was like, wow, holy shit, this happens? Um, I'm a year late, and um, it was a morning skate, and um, the, the coach come in, and Ron Flucker came in, and he announced that he had been terminated from the from the team as a coach, and that the new coach would be there that night, and he shook all our hands and left. And that night, Sean Clouston showed up and healthy scratched me. And uh, my parents were in town. They flew down from Nanaimo. And I was, yeah, I got healthy scratched Saturday night. And then someone got hurt. Katie Venus got hurt. Hurt his knee. So I dressed Sunday. Played good. We won. I think I got a point. And I fought Jeff Ulanville and won. And then Monday morning, the fucking guy calls me in and, and, and cuts me. And then he tries to hold my check. And he's like, we'll mail you your check. I'm like, no, it's payday today for last week. Like, pay me my check. He's like, no, we'll mail it to you. I'm like, you're not mailing me my fucking check. You just cut me. And Mano Rayon was in the room. And uh, I don't want to bring, you know, drag her into anything like that. But she looked right at the guy and was like, just give him his money. Like, and he fucking reached in and handed me my check. And uh, my, my roommate was a guy named Len DeBono. And I think he's deceased now, too. But he was a, um, I think he was like like a male stripper. Like, no joke. And, like, <laughs> it was his off-season. He lived in Vegas, and he was a stripper and hostler. And, like, and this is the kind of shit you're doing. You're, you think you're playing pro hockey, and I'm living in an apartment with a guy that fucking strips in Vegas in the off-season. <laughs> you know, and he's doing gas and dashes and dining dashes and shit all around town. I'm riding around on his Monte Carlo, trying to get you know, trying to be a hockey player. I'm hanging out, you know, we're, we're, we're doing you know, doing shit like that. Like it's it, it's it's so far from glamorous, it's not even funny. But but looking back on it, fucking you know, gas and dash in Reno in 1995 or six is no joke either. So anyway, just crazy shit like that, man. And uh, living in Nevada, living in California, um, playing hockey. I mean, I look back and it's five, seven games and it's like, it doesn't, you know, I can tell you this though, Darren, for every game I played in my career, I shot one too. So you can take all my games and just double them for how long <laughs> I was there. Was that, was Jeremy Thompson there when you were there? Sure was. Sure was. He was, um, he just come out of Tri-City and he was with his, uh, his bride and they are still married. He lives here just north of Calgary and Airdrie. We're pretty good friends. Uh, chummy. Uh, we, we used to be better friends, lot, but we just I moved away out of Airdrie. But um, he was there, and 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 again, now uh, we we're, we're real good buds. Now, obviously, everyone knows his story and, and how tough he is for his size and for whatever. But yeah, it was him. And um, who else was there? Stewie Kulak was a. He wasn't really a tough guy, but he was a, he was a good player. Al, um, Al Murphy, Kevin Quinn. 
Yeah, Kevin Quinn. Now that fucking guy. You know what? That guy was a base jumper, skydiver, uh, extreme skier, strapper, player. He had a spot up in um, Lake Tahoe. So he's playing for us in Reno, but he, has, he lived in Lake Tahoe. And I remember going up there for uh, we had an off weekend. And we went up there, and I don't think we went skiing, but it was like like a Whistler, or Lake Tahoe, like what you think it would be, right? And we we hung out, and like this guy showed me videos of him jumping off of four hundred foot bridges with parachutes and shit. Yeah, I'm like you're crazy, motherfucker, Kevin Quinn. And I think um, I'm not friends with him. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I'm, I'm ten years or so or whatever it's been, but. Last I was on, he was flying planes and landing them in the middle of nowhere. Bush pilot. Oh, there he goes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not surprised. So you had a... Well, that's good. Quite, quite the story in Reno. But, uh, well, before we, we go, hotel. like you, we you, you, you we mentioned... Lived hotel, we lived in the casino, man. Well, hey, there you go. Uh, well, uh, well, Saints, well, Jerry St. Cyr was there, obviously. Um, so Jerry St. Cyr wasn't there when I was there because no. He, he, no, but Jerry St. Cyr is from Nanaimo and Jerry St. Cyr played for the Nanaimo Clippers when I was a stick boy and Jerry St. Cyr was my childhood hero because he was played in Victoria and he was tough and he was good and he was feared yeah. and um, he, he was several years older than me and he was a legend he's a legend from Nanaimo like, he, he got out of town and never came back one of those guys but he's from my hometown and he's a fucking legend, but he was he wasn't playing for us then. He joined the team after I left. Well, of course, he went on to marry Mayo Realm um, uh, for a little bit. Of it. I don't think they're not married anymore. But uh, how how was she when you were around her? Did you did you spend any time with her? We played cards all the time. You know, like I was a card player. She was a card player. Um, you know, we 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 went to. You know, I was only there a couple months, right? And, um, but, you know, we went to Alaska, we played cards. She was nice. She was cool. You know, like I was always one of the first guys on the ice. I was always one of the last guys off the ice. So was she, one of the, she was the first person on, one of the first people on the ice, one of the last off. She worked her ass off. I mean, I wasn't much of a goal scorer. There's no, there's no, that's no joke, but like, you know, you know, she, the thing about a female goalie, you know, you can be as talented as you want, but you don't physically, you know, you don't you don't cover as much of that, right? Like the broad shoulders and the, and, yeah. and the wider hips and stuff like that. Just is not as physically filled the net. But she played on top of the crease, and you know, and she wasn't our number one goalie. I think our number one goalie was a guy named Todd Reynolds, and I think he's an agent now. But she was our number two, and um, she was good, man. Like she she fit in. She she had her own room. She traveled with the team. It was I mean, I look back at my career and some of the shit like that. Like you played with Manuel Reynolds, yeah, man. I did. And like it was cool. Like it was it was unique and, and now she's got a book coming out and she's doing a tour and a promo for that and you know, she married a guy from my hometown and, and she doesn't know who the fuck I am. I mean maybe she does, but I don't it doesn't matter, it's not the point. But it was good, man. Like, um uh, we got along. We got along and she went to bat for me. Like the, the the general manager, his name was Larry Lindy, I think his name was. And and he went and gave me my check. And she was sitting there talking to him about something. And he actually told me right in front of her that he was going to mail me my check. And I just said, no, I'm not leaving without it. 275 bucks. It's fucking pay me, man. You're taking taxes off the goddamn thing, too. Like, it's a $200 check. Pay me. She, she made him pay me. So 
props to her, man. She fucking she did the right thing at the right time for me. There you go. Uh, were you there when Ron Aubrey showed up? No. No. Okay. Never mind then. No. There, but that was that's a name. If people wondering why I said Ron Aubrey, if you go go look up Ron Aubrey on Hockey DB, um, he kind of had a. You, you, Doug the Hammer Smith. Everybody knows that story. Obviously, it's centered around the movie Goon and stuff. Doug Smith. I know Doug Smith exactly. And uh, Ron Aubrey was the same thing. Kind of one of these goon, okay. goon for hire guys. But he played a lot longer. He was a better player than Doug was. But he go look at a talkie DB. You'll get like carpal tunnel scrolling. But I mean, he, I'm looking at it right now. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he fought everybody. He was a gun for hire, and yeah, there's they call him the dancing bear. And uh, yeah, there was a few stories there. But yeah, I saw he played three games in Reno. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, there we go. Different times. So you're, like you said, they, you get cut, you send home. Um, so here you are. Right, twenty one, and uh, you, you basically uh, you're you're done playing senior hockey, and and uh, you know a, a year later you're going to you know Concordia there, and uh, d- at that point did you kind of figure you were done with pro hockey? Yeah, man, I, I really I got I was home at Christmas. You know what actually happened was is um, I got sent home. It was a couple days before Christmas. I had a pretty serious girlfriend um in the back home in Nanaimo and she um she was one of those gals who had traveled who had traveled the world she'd been into Australia she'd been into the UK she'd been in South America she'd been into these places in Europe and she was only 20 at the time and she held a uh, a British passport and her dad was born there she visited there She'd gone and worked there a little bit. And so her and I decided that we thought that the best thing for us to do was to go to the United Kingdom. And I would play hockey over there in one of those leagues. Um, and she would work. And, and we would she would pursue her uh, education and go to university. And I would play hockey. And if I married her, I'd, I wouldn't be an import. And we'd, we'd circumvent all of those import rules. And I could you know, secure where I wanted to play a little easier. So that was the plan. I was all set to go over there to play for a team in Fife. And um, basically, by the time it came time to go, her and I split up. (laughs) We we broke up and she went and I didn't. And um, I decided that uh, the best thing for me to do was move to northern Alberta and get working and uh, play senior hockey. So a team called the Manning Comets, which is an hour north of Peace River, which is six hours north of Edmonton, um, they brought me in, and I, I went to work at a grain elevator and uh, played senior hockey for Manning. And um, obviously that was kind of like playing Junior B or Inferni, where I'm, you know, probably should not be the best player on any team ever, you know, like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not awful, but I'm not the best player ever. Like I'm not the scorer, I'm not the finisher, I'm not the centerman. So, um, went there for a little bit, and then just you know, just it's a town of a thousand people, and you know, big personality, you know, a little bit of hockey history under me, and I'm there to play hockey, and I'm I'm in the town working at the grain elevator, so I stuck out like a sore thumb, 
and just realized that, you know what, I better get an education. So I went back into, uh, back into Edmonton where my mother had lived. And, um, when I got there, I phoned up the Stony Plain Eagles, said, Hey guys, like, uh, don't know what you got for players or what you need, but just moved to the area and I, I like playing hockey. And so I joined the Stony Plain Eagles that year. So that would have been 97, 98, I guess. Yep. Yep. So I played, played for them 97, 98. I think 96, 97. I don't think I played at all after Reno, just a handful of games there. And then 97, 98, I was in Manning and then Stony. And then a bunch of the guys on Stony were university graduates of Concordia, a bunch of them. And like Mike Cavaroli coaches the team now, and he was a graduate. He's like, Pars, why, why don't you go play at Concordia? You're only 24 years old. It's not too late. You're 23. You're not too late. Go play some college hockey. You get your, I think I was going to go to Grant McEwen and do some police and security or, or something like that. I don't know. And he's like, go talk to this guy. So I went and joined the, the college league, and I had no aspirations of doing anything from there. And it was the summertime. And I was um, going to transfer to University of Alberta. Um, I'm, a, I'm a decent student, right? So I was going to transfer to U of A, and I met with the team, and, and uh, I had everything kind of underway. And fuck, if you don't know it, I get a call from um, this guy named Derek Prue, and he says, I'm hosting a um, free agent camp this weekend for guys that want to try and play pro hockey. I know you don't want to play pro hockey. I know you're going to U of A, but can you come and skate and you'd be, you know, you'd be a good measuring stick for you and for everybody else. I said, fuck yeah, I'll go. <laughs> so I went and, um, I think I, I went Friday, this Saturday, went to a wedding. I kind of drunk Sunday showed up to this thing and maybe the guys were tired. Maybe I was feeling it that day, but I had a great day. And I, on these post meetings, he just said to me, look right at me. He says, buddy, I got to try out in the IHL for you if you want it. I'm like, what? He's like, seriously? I got a try out in the I and a contract in Madison. I'm like, wow, I'm supposed to go to U of A and chase down my law degree. He's like, well, let me know. <laughs> so I fucking called him. I said, I'll go. So I went to Milwaukee on a tryout out of the college league. It's unbelievable. And so it, it was. It was out of nowhere. It was a, a summer free agent camp that I went to, some rink called Parkland Arena, just outside of Edmonton. Big thing that happened for me is, as I grew up in Nanaimo, but once I started summering up in Concordia and Edmonton area, once I started spending time in Edmonton, I got a lot more serious about my hockey and my training and my development. And it really, it was like a rebirth for me, if you will. And as you know, from there, from 98 through 05, you'll see, like, there's a lot of, well, you won't see it on my DB, but I spent all my off seasons in the Edmonton area. And I skated with pros and Perry Pern and trained with professional trainers and boxers and skated and power skating. And so I did all the shit between 23 and 28 that I was supposed to do between, you know, 16 and 21. Yeah. Well, like you said, you, you played a couple games in the eye in Milwaukee there for Al Sims, and and then uh, you head down to Madison in the uh, in the in the U-Haul. And uh, what was your uh, what was your feelings? Like the United League was a was a tough league, man. And uh, 
you know, you get down there and, uh, you know, on, on the team, you got, you know, Jezelowski and, and Duhart and, uh, you know, Luke Strand and all these guys. Uh, what were your feelings on Madison? I love Madison as a city and I love the team. So I went to Milwaukee camp and they're making cuts and, 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 you know, I'm not one of those guys that was drafted and came up as a prospect, right? Like, you know, my, my, my resume is very underwhelming. So a lot of this stuff is new for me. <laughs> so here I am, a 24-year-old rookie, 6'4", 235 pounds, who's willing to fight. Yeah. And I play in D. And so, as you know, those minor leagues, like, your rookie slash veteran status is a big deal. And so here I am, like I said, at that at that age with, you know, that kind of, you know, the coach always told me at that point that like, you got lots of tread left on your tire, man. Like you got lots of runway left. Like you're a 24 year old rookie. Like you're a coveted guy just on that, re- on, on that respect. So I started Milwaukee and then I got cut. They basically said to me at one point, they called me in. They said, who, who are you? Like, where, the, where did you come from? I said, Oh, I played some senior hockey, some college hockey, some West coast league, some junior A. They're like, how the fuck did you get here? Like, and you're and you're hanging in here, buddy. We've cut out, we've cut a bunch of guys. Like, we're down to like nine D men out of like twenty five, and you're still here. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to make a team. I guess. And near one of the last couple of days of camp, I got sent down to Madison, and I was playing there. And Kent Holly was the coach, and he is like one of the best guys you'll ever meet. He, he was just fantastic, and he um, and everything was good. To be honest with you. Um, I got called up to Milwaukee, played a couple games, and didn't fight. And I was taking the bus back to Milwaukee. I think we played at home against Grand Rapids. And then I think I got an assist or something. And Chris Neal was there, and Shane Kenny was there, there in Grand Rapids, or 90, one of them. And I didn't fight. And then we went to Milwaukee, we flew to Winnipeg, and we got blown out. And I don't know. I, I I didn't I didn't go look for a fight. Nobody asked me to fight. No one ran around, but I didn't go and stir it up like I probably should have. And um, we flew back the next day, and we're on the bus. And the coach Al Sims calls me up. Actually, Claude Noel was the assistant coach. He called me up to the front of the bus. He says, "We're going to send you down to send you back down to Madison." I said, "Okay." He goes, "Well, don't you want to know why?" I said, man, I've been cut so many times. Like, it doesn't even matter why. Like, clearly I'm not good enough. He's like, no, you are good enough. But you didn't do what you're supposed to do. You got 200 fucking penalty minutes in the United League. You come up here and do jack shit. I said, well, I was, it's the, Amer- it's the International Hockey League, man. Things are happening fast. I'm trying to make plays. I'm trying to read, like, you're talking port checks and squeeze outs and, Line hold. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to adapt and move the puck and stuff. I'm trying to play. If we wanted someone to move the puck and stuff, we would have called up Chad Dameworth. Not you. We brought you up here because you're supposed to be some tough guy, but you're not. And he chews me out in front of the bus. So I was like, he's a fucking cocksucker. So I go back down to Madison, and that's when I kind of changed. I became a real prick. And I really became a little more selfish. And I started kind of holding guys accountable, holding myself more accountable. And I really stopped questioning myself. 
I started becoming more of a fucking prick and willing to fight anybody, anytime. And yeah, I got some penalty trouble and whatever, but you know, no, it's a, it's a fucking double A pro league. Like I'm not the only guy out there taking dumb penalties. And Jim Duhart was a leader on the team, and he was a he was a prolific scorer in that league, and you know, and he didn't like sharing the spotlight. That's for sure. And I didn't give a fuck. I and mean, I said, whatever, Jim, do whatever you're going to do, but I'll do what I'm going to do. And, you know, everyone else I had good relationships with, the coach liked me, and then he came to me one day and he said, Parse, I'm getting calls for you from every team in the league. Every first-place team wants to trade for you right now. You're a rookie D-man. You're first, second, or third in majors. Everyone knows it. You're ready to rumble. What do you want to do? I said, I want to play in the American Hockey League next year, coach. Like, that's what I want to do. <clears throat> he says, well, I think Fort Wayne is making us the best offer. And if you're okay with it, we'll trade you there. And I said, fuck, all right, I'm good. So they traded me to Fort Wayne for Dennis Pinfold. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, whatever. We beat Madison in the playoffs. And there, you know, there was some other shit going on. Like, I had a girlfriend at the time. She's passed away now. Jeez, that's become a theme in this, hasn't it? I've got, like, six or seven passaways. But, um, <laughs> my, my girlfriend at the time was a um, famous country singer. And um, it became, I don't want to say it became a distraction, but it became part of my thing, right? And so, um, I think, you know... You put yourself under the spotlight. You put yourself subject to criticism. You know, more people should put themselves in the spotlight and make themselves, you know, subject to criticism. You know, and I wish I wish I was a little more... At that point, I was fine with it. But five years prior, I wish I was more comfortable with that. Things would have been a little different. By the time guys started judging me and being pricks to me about stuff like that, I, but I, I just said, go fuck yourself. I'm not really that concerned what you think, Jim. You know, you think whatever you want. You're 32 years old playing in this league. I'm going to the American League here next year with the last thing I fucking do. So, whatever, buddy. I don't. I don't need your endorsement. And you know, I mean, there's a, there's a theory about crabs. You ever you ever look at a bucket of crabs and, and you know, one starts climbing out, the other one will pull them down. And those leagues can get like that, right? Whether yep. you're whether you're, whether you're you're smoking dope, whether you're hanging out in bars, whether you're hanging out with locals, whether you're doing bad shit. You know, you, you, no one, you know, they're mocking you for trying to be better. You know, I, I learned some really valuable lessons that way, that guys don't want to see you do better. And I got to the point when I started playing in those leagues there after 99, 2000, I never bought more than a liter of milk at a time. They didn't want it to go bad. What do they say? No, I've never bought green bananas. Right? Like, I don't just plan on being here for more than a couple of weeks, guys. That's a stepping stone for me. Yep. Oh, you're fucking cool. Hey, Parson, live the dream. Go back to the A. Fucking right, so I'm going to go back to the A. You can fucking hang out here all day long. Eat as many perks as you want. I'm out here. And, um, you know, I kind of took that attitude. And uh, Well, you know, some people love it. Some people don't. But at the end of the day, you know, I got to I gotta do what's best for me. And, hey, I'm a, I'm a teammate to the end of the day. I was never, it was never a question about being a bad teammate. But, it, you know, guys that, that were comfortable in the United League. You know, I never wanted to get comfortable in the United League. I could have gone to fucking Tallahassee or Fort Lauderdale or Louisiana or South Carolina Stingrays, gone and lived in the 90-degree temperature. I could have gone and done that lots of times. I just know that I would have got too comfortable there and never would have left. Yep. 
So, you know, I wanted to be a hockey player, man. So when I left Concordia in 98-99, my goal was to play one NHL game within three years. And 2001, my third year, I played preseason games. So that's why I kept chasing it. So I set a goal. I achieved it. And, you know, I don't make any apologies for that. No, absolutely. Well, like, uh, can't remember who was on this show, the East Coast League. Yeah, easy come, hard to leave. You know, one of those uh, with the East Coast League. Yeah, like you said, you go somewhere hot and it uh, become a lifer. But uh, but no, so you, you end up going to Fort Wayne. And uh, I know talking to uh, a couple of the diehard Fort Wayne fans, they loved you. They You, you were a big fan favorite. In fact, uh, of course, we had talked about this off air, but... Uh, my friend Scott, I know he's listening, big fan of yours, and he still has the infamous T-shirt, the Kiss the Fist Tour, with Steve Parsons on it, uh, that was sold at the Fort Wayne Games. What did you think of your time in Fort Wayne? Man, that was awesome. And 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 shout out to Scott, man. And like, I'm really, I'm really glad you got that shirt. I have one or two remaining. Um, I loved it in Fort Wayne. It was like the big leagues for me. It was former IHL. It was a big rank. They had the Frankies as the owner. The team loved us. The fans loved us. I had a really, I, I got off to a really good start there. I think my first couple games, I had a couple good fights, couple couple KOs, couple drops on guys. Bruce Ramsey was there. He was like the the, the veteran leader, tough guy. Milt Mastad was there. David LeMay was there. We had a bunch of guys. We had a good team. Um, they treated me really good. They were happy to have me. They gave me a raise. I think I was making like three fifty a week in Madison. And when I got to Fort Wayne, they bought me like four fifty a week, right? So, you know, I was like, Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm crushing it and and the fans where they, they they knew their hockey, right? It was it's an old school hockey town and, and you you knew that, right? Like when we were in Madison, the thing about Madison was it was a university town. And that's when Danny Heatley and Steve Reinprecht were there and Ron Dane won the Heisman. And so we were like so far, no one came to our games. Everyone went to the UW games. And it's a hockey town in its own right, but it's minor hockey and it's junior and it's university. And we, we got some fans. And we and I got some great friends there. My buddy J.D. Steinhoffel. Dang, rest in peace, J.D. This is like seven or eight now. This is getting crazy. Um, he was one of my best buddies there. He had a furniture warehouse. Anyways, we had to Fort Wayne and... Uh, the fans were, were old school fans yep. and it was an old rank and, and they loved it. And I remember, I think it was, um, Carlos Soki was the guy yep. and he, he was playing for, I think he might've been in Rockford or something. And we'd fought before when I was in Madison and it was a pretty good fight, whatever. And it was, and, uh, we we're in Fort Wayne and he's like, you ready to go? And I'm like, fucking hey, I am. And so we go and, uh, it's been a while since I've seen the fight, but I, I think at one point I was kind of like stringing out a little bit. And I came in and I landed one and dropped him. And I think if I recall, like he was falling while I was skating away. And it was like one of that cinematic kind of like timings or whatever. And like he hit the ground and jumped back up, but I was already like 15 feet away. Like I was like, fuck your drop, buddy. It fights over. And, and, and so as I'm going to the box, for whatever reason, I fucking kissed my fist and put it in the air. <laughs> and <laughs> and so, like, obviously the guys are giving me the gears on it, and I'm loving it and laughing about it. 
I get a call about a day or two later and they send me in for this photo shoot and then and they have me do a bunch of photos and I have the proof somewhere. It's funny as hell and they they made these fucking shirts up. And that year, I'm pretty sure I fought in every single rink in the league. And I hadn't at that point. But once I got the shirt out, every time we went so I'm like, I, I gotta who am I gonna fight tonight, right? Whether it was uh, Richie Walcott or, you know, Jason Monopolis or Frank Scala, like guys that like you know, I hadn't fought before and didn't really have a grudge with, but like, you're, you're the designated tough guy on that team. We got to go. Why? That's because I, I'm on the tour, boys. We got to go. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you get to the point there where you have some fun with it. And, um, hey, man, it's the binders. You, know? you got to sell your gimmick. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. <laughs> so that's what I did, man. Yeah. And so, um, that's what I did. And I went back to Edmonton and, um, I was waiting for the phone to ring, and it just didn't come. You know, and hey, Fort Wayne. Um, before I leave that thought, like that's one of those places that I wish that I would have gone back and played out the rest of my career with. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I would have gone back there and and been a leader or been part of the team for long term. Or, you know, I was on I was on a mission then to make the NHL. And so I wasn't prepared to play in the UHL. And so when I left Fort Wayne, right away they wanted me to resign for next year. And I just said, listen, guys, like I, I love you guys, and I, and I love it here. But I'm trying to make the show. And if I'm signing UHL deals now, and I get an NHL tryout this September, and I can hang around there, and I can hang around the A for a little bit, if I can, if I can milk a couple months, at that level, coming out of the A in October, November, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be making 500 in the U-Haul. Like, I might get another PTO in the A, or I might get an East Coast League team offering me a thousand. Like, I don't want to sign here and then and then and then limit myself, guys. I love you guys, and if I have to come back here, I will. But I, I just, I, I've got other, I got a different focus. And they, and they were like, they, they, they were like, no problem. Standing offer. Let us know when you're ready to come back, and we'll make room for you. Thank you, Mr. Frankie. Like you guys are the best. I love you. And then, the, then, the, then no one called. Then no one called. I went home. No one called. So I, I got um, this guy was um, helping me out, and he and he came up to me and he says, uh, he called me up. He says, "You ever heard of Paul Vincent?" I said, "No, no." He goes, "He's the number one power skating coach in Boston, and he's got a camp in August, and and you should go to it." And so I, so I went there and I mean, I, I kind of glossed over Madison a bit, Dave Jezalowski, because we'll come back to that. But Jezzer and I were teammates in Madison and we both got traded the same week out of Madison. He went to Mohawk Valley and I went to Fort Wayne and about a week and we were teammates, roommates on the road, battle brothers, if you will, pro B kosher, but not pro B kosher, obviously, but two guys that were like, if Jezzer's going to go home, I'm going to go home too. Hey, Jezzer, who do you want tonight? Okay, you take him. I got that right. Perfect. Let's go. And we were like that, right? And then we fought each other. That was a great fight. That was in, a great uh, fight. That's a great fight. It's on no. YouTube. Yep. It's a great fight. And, and my favorite part about the fight is I go to my left in that fight. I switch to my left hand three times in that fight. And I throw a combined seven air bombs. <laughs> like punching him with my right, switch to my left. Miss, 
two in a row, back to the right, switch to the left, miss, back to the right, back to the left, miss. Like I, my weakness is I can't throw lefts. It always was. I just was a terrible lefty, and uh, Jezzer and I were scrapping, and I went to the left three times in that fight, and I missed all, all six punches. <laughs> but that fucker, he stood in there. And when you watch yeah. that fight, I hit that kid square in the face, I don't know, 10 times. Mm-hmm. And he, I think at one point he might have been out on his feet, but he woke back up and he just did not stop throwing. That guy can take a punch. Yeah, he can. Hey, did you have any, uh, in Quad City, did you ever have any run-ins with Topper? Yep. couple. couple times. I fought him <coughs> at least twice. How'd that go? Um, I thought good for me. I thought he was, I mean, maybe I'm being boastful when I say this, but I thought he would have been way more to handle. Now, he came out of retirement that year because he yep. was doing banking or something or insurance or something in the area. Yep, still um, does. He still is. Yep, financial and, uh, advisor. Hey, yep. Yeah, and I'm not going to shit on Topper. Like, that fucking guy, like, he's a legend. Um, but I remember they brought him in. Quad Cities was a first-place team, and we were playing one night. And um, we were pushing. The, I just remember, like, I was kind of on the wall, and I knew he was up to point. I'm a, I'm a D-man, and, and he came down the wall. And the next thing you know, we were kind of pushing and shoving, and then we started fighting. There was no square off. There was no pronouncement to it. And I remember, like, him punching me, getting kind of getting the jump on me a little bit. I don't say jump me, but he, he, he got going first. And I remember him hitting me, and I just remember vividly being like, those don't even hurt. Those don't even hurt. And I remember just standing up and just fucking hitting them. And uh, it ended really quick. And then I think a couple weeks later, we were in their barn. And there was a scrum. And one of my guys had a necklace. He was wearing a gold chain. I'll never forget this. And it broke. It was, But it was still on his neck. And Topper fucking went up and picked it off the guy's neck, my teammate's neck. And I saw him do it. And he kind of put it as well. So I fucking punched him. And we ended up having a pretty good fight. And I'm calling him a thief. <laughs> as if he was trying to steal it. I think he was just trying to be a cocksucker more than anything. But I'm like, you're stealing necklaces. He's like, I'm not stealing necklaces. I just fucking took it. I said, like, I'm not stealing. So I got this big righteous <laughs> argument with him in the penalty box. It's pretty funny in hindsight. But anyway, yeah, well, you know, was, what's, so, well, you know what's so funny about that though is when Topper was a Spokane in that line brawl in the Memorial Cup against the Quebec League team, he does the same thing. He takes the necklace off the guy that he's beaten up. It, so yes, I saw that here recently, and I thought, fuck, that's deja vu. That is exactly what I saw him do in the UHL. He fucking won't <laughs> pick guys' necklaces off their neck. So I saw it, and I fucking drilled him in the ear. We turned around and fought over it, and I remember like ridiculing him for being a thief. He's like, "I'm not a thief." And he's like, "I'm just fucking with guys." I'm like, "All right, whatever." That's tremendous. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, one of the guys you fought in Rockford, of course, another legend out there, Kevin Holiday. Oh yeah, Kevin Holiday. That guy. So that fight that I fought him on—that's on YouTube too. Yep. That that particular fight I remember was a Sunday afternoon. And it was a third game in three nights. And I know for sure I fought twice Friday, twice Saturday. And Holiday had 30-some-odd majors, and we were all at, the rest of us, me, Jezzer, Metopolis, were all at 25. And Holiday's at 35. 
which tells you like he's gonna want to fight fucking first shift as soon as he sees me. And I was like, "Oh, I'm tired. My hands are sore. I'm at three and three. It'll be my fifth fight in three days." And we squared off. And you know, in hindsight, I, I probably should just grab him, punch him right in the face, but I didn't. I kind of grabbed onto him. And he started teeing off on me. And I don't know what it was. I was like, I'm not, I gotta get beat up at home. <laughs> and so I just fucking tried to swing him back. And it ended, it ended relatively quickly. I'm not sure he got hurt, but I, I, I think, you know, I think I, we'll, we'll call it a draw. But I just remember, like, it just, it's a really, it's a good reminder that, you know, you can fight 30, 40 times a year and, and you're not always going to bring your best. But, you know, <laughs> you don't want to get beat up either. So you better get your shit together quickly. And so with Holiday, like, he was just one of those guys that was not big. Well, I mean, when I say not big, he was 6'1 or 6'2, 215 pounds, you know, compared to 6'4, 230. I mean, three inches and 30 pounds, that's a lot. Yep. And, and you know, I, I just believed, I learned after a while, that, you know, when I had my confidence that I could take shots from guys like Kevin Holiday. Like, I could grab on, I could take your best, I'm going to be okay. I have to come down the middle on you and finish you. And so, you know, that happened to me sometimes too. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, um, at the time, you know, I, I wasn't into it, but that, that particular fight, but I remember being mid fight being like, okay, fuck this. And then, and then doing that. But for some reason, I probably fought twice that game, but, um, yeah, it was, um, Holiday was in that league. Madopolis fought all the time. Jezer, Matt Ripty was in that league. Sergio Roberts was in that league then. Matt Rush, Jason, yeah, Nori, Belza, Sailor, yep, Darren yep, Kimball, yep, yep, Jason yep, Simon, yep, Mark Major. Yep. They were all rumbling around. And, well, know, oh, hey, one guy, one guy I want to ask you about because the video is on my channel, and I think you got into it in the hallway with him was Rusty McKee. Rusty McKee, you know, <clears throat> there's a guy that I got to hand it to him because he never had a chance. And, I, and not just with me, but with most guys. But that fucker would look for it all the time. I think he like he, minutes, yeah. I'm not, like, he was, I'm like, Rusty, why do you want to get beat up again? Fuck you, I'm not afraid of you. I'm like, sure, you don't have to be afraid of me, but you're still going to get beat up. Why do you want to get beat up? I'm not going to get beat up. I want to kick your ass. I'm like, Rusty, like, Jezre beat you LeMay, gonna, he beat you Wow, well, I'm going to rip you apart. I'm not afraid of you. I think I had to fight that guy three or four times. He ran our goalie one night. We were in Fort Wayne. There's a video deep in the archives where he, our goalie came out to play the puck, and he, I could tell he was going to run him. So I, like, interfered with him so that he wouldn't get to our goalie. And as we're sliding by the goalie, he reaches his arm out and fucking grabs his feet and cartwheels our goalie. So I get up and totally overreact and punch and punch and punch and punch and punch and keep going at him. And, like, I think we're back in Knoxville, like, two weeks later, and he comes over and he gets on the ice before we're out there and he takes all of our pucks for warm-up. So the pucks are on the dashboard boards. He comes over, takes all the pucks, puts it in his end. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, like, how many times are they going to beat you up and you're still going to keep doing that? And so I got a hand from the guy. He had he had huge balls, and, and he just kept 
doing it and doing it. But like, uh, yeah, that's a good memory. <laughs> Can you believe he played a pro game last year? What? He played in the Federal Hockey League, like one game. <laughs> no, good for him. He's in some town, like two hills or three hills or something, maybe. Or is that Curtis Sailor I'm thinking about? Yeah, that's Curtis. R- Rusty's an American. He's from Toledo. Okay, then it's the Sailors from the two hills, uh, Alberta. So Rusty's an American, eh? Well, yeah. you know what? Guys, you know, 40-some-odd years old, going into a pro game, you know, clearly in, in the A. Once, once you have that eye of the tiger, it never leaves you, right? Like, yep. you know, the biggest problem with Rusty that he wasn't big enough to win, but fuck, he was in. He tried all the time. I remember one time I was fighting him. He was early in the game in Fort Wayne, and and he, I don't know if he threw a punch, but his goal was to try to get me onto my back so he could mount me. He told me, he told me, I'm gonna get on you. I'm gonna ground and bound. I'm like, what's ground and bound? You'll fucking see. <laughs> and like. <laughs> and so we were fighting, and I remember him going for my pants, and I literally like let my feet go up behind me so he couldn't reach them. And like you know, looking back on it, like it's it's hilarious at the time. It seems so intense, but you know, looking back on it, it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, so the following year, um, you get your shot. You're in the American. Well, uh, Pittsburgh, the Penguins come a calling, and. Uh, <sighs> Yeah, Greg Patrick and them uh, sign you, and uh, I think you start in Wilkesbury and end up in Wheeling, correct? Ah, uh, man, yeah. So I that summer I went to a I went to a conditioning camp in somewhere in Massachusetts. I want to say maybe Brockton, Massachusetts, or Braintree, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. And it was this it was this power skating skills with a scrimmage, and it was an hour of skating and skills with a flood and then a 45 minute scrimmage. And I remember Brad Richards was there and he'd just been drafted by Tampa Bay. And at this time, Paul Vincent senior was the skills coach for Tampa Bay. And there was a bunch of guys on the ice and Jezelowski was there too. And I was there and I don't know. I don't know. I knew Jezer. That was it. And get on the ice and we're going through pylons and we're doing laps and we're shooting pucks and we're doing horseshoe drills and we do an hour of skating, skill work. Um, they're flood. I'm moving the net. I'm not going to, some guys are sitting on the bench. Some guys go to the room. We've got 15 minute break. I go to, I go grab the net for the Zamboni driver, whatever. I don't know. I'm an old stick boy. This guy, gets up to me. One of the assistant coaches on the ice. He's like, Hey, I was going to good. He goes, I'm, I'm Neil Shea. I'm a, I'm a scope for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> He's like, um, where are you going to camp? I said, well, my old coach, Dave Allison from Fort Wayne, he's the head coach in Milwaukee this year, and um, I'm gonna, it looks like I'm going to go to camp there. He's like, no, like, what NHL camp are you going to? I said, oh, I don't, I don't have an NHL tryout. Really? No? Where'd you play last year? It's the first time you guys ever seen me. It's an hour, hour skate. And uh, I said, oh, I played in the United Hockey League. Oh, Jezelowski played in that league last year. Didn't he, like, have the most penalty minutes and the most majors or something like that? I was like, um, I think he had the most minutes, but I think I had the most majors. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, did you ever, did you ever fight him? I said, a couple times. He's like, He's fucking tough. How'd that go? I said, well, you should go ask him. 
And so he skates down there. It comes back. He says, he says, you beat him twice. And I said, yeah. He says, uh, so are you willing to fight? I said, yeah, I'm willing to fight. He says, you want to come to Pittsburgh camp? Fucking <laughs> great. I sure do. He says, all right, you got a fight tape or anything like that. And I had a VHS, my buddy, Jonathan Kaminsky, uh, the Polish hammer. And yeah. one of my, one of my oldest, dearest friends in the world, um, we became really good friends when I was in Hershey, but he, I don't know if I had a tape from him. I'm going to, I'm going to bite my words on that one. Cause I hadn't met him yet. I had a tape somehow and it was Kent Hawley. Actually, I'm going to back up to Madison because one day when I was in Madison, it was when I'd come back from my, my send down and Kent Hawley pulled me in. He said, you got a message? Sure. He puts a VHS in, in his office and, uh, it's my fights. And it's this grainy video, shitty sound, you know, and, and we're watching probably five or six of them. And he said, he goes, what do you, Parse, what do you see? He goes, I've never, he goes, Parse, you're way tougher than me. I've ne- I, I don't get what you guys do. He's like, but what do you see when you, have you ever watched your fights before? I said, no, I've never actually watched my fights. He's like, what do you see? I said, I see us fucking dog mauling each other. He's like, yeah. I, I, I thought that too. He's like, let's watch it again. And so he watches it again. He's like, watch. He's like, you're moving forward on guys and they're punching you in the head from their fucking heels and you're not even flinching. Look. And guys are like teeing off on me and I'm moving forward, pushing them and hitting them with these little like, rabbit punches almost. And he's like, what if you just fucking stood there, Parse, and punched him square in the face instead of moving forward? I'm like, well, Halsey, that's kind of ballsy, isn't it? <laughs> he's like, you don't have to do it. Don't don't take fight tips from me. But if you're feeling confident sometime, instead of moving forward, stand your ground, see what happens. And so a couple of weeks later, or a couple of nights later, I got into with a guy and instead of like lunging at him and mauling him and panic fighting, I kind of sat back on my haunches a bit and just threw down the middle and took some and was way more clear vision on it. And so it, it really made made a big, big difference in, in how I approached the rest of my fights and changed my style right away. I became more confident in my chin. Is that so, kind of like you sort of had the aha moment at that point? It was a total aha moment for me. It was it was in his office. I'll never forget it. It was it was it was like late 1999, and it's like, oh my god, I have a good chin. I didn't know that. I was so afraid to get hit and hurt that I was you know I panic fight or I. I wasn't that good of a fighter. I got by. I was smoking mirrors most of the time, right? Like, that's why I wasn't in the dub. That's why I wasn't in the A. I wasn't, you know, good hockey people could see through my bullshit. But I just, I wouldn't stop showing up, though, either, right? I just fucking kept hanging around, hanging around. Like, Yannick Renaud was in with the Chicago Wolves. I'd fought him in the queue. And then he was with Chicago when I was with Milwaukee. And I fought him. And, you know, I won, clearly won the fight. And... My coach was like, holy fuck, like, you can fight. Why don't you do that more? I'm like, I don't know. I'm insecure about it. I don't know if I'm any good at it. I, I like playing and fighting. Like, I, I used to love Charles Butcher and Marty McSorley, who'd play all the time and fight sometimes. You know, and, and so, I mean, Marty fought more than Garth, but you get the, you get the idea. Yep, yep. And so I just, you know, I, I, always, I always lived in that world. Where I, was a, I was a top demon who'd fight anyone. But then you put me on the wing. Now I'm just a goon, and I, I just had a hard time with that, right? I always had a hard time with that. And sometimes I was better with it than others. 
so you know when I was when I went at Neil Shea in, in, in at the Paul Vincent camp and he offered me to go to Pittsburgh you know I knew I was pretty clear then I knew what I what I was what I was there supposed to do so I got to try out with Pittsburgh and that was two thousand I guess yeah two thousand two thousand one uh, so you were, yeah. so you're in Pittsburgh Penguin camp. 25-year-old rookie, first NHL camp. There you go. 25 years old. You're there with Yager and Lemieux. And I mean, and like you said, you were a hockey fan. So this has got to be surreal for you. Well, Lemieux wasn't there yet. No? Yager was. Yeah. No, Yager was there. Kovalev. I think the coach was Ivan Huenka. Yep. Martin Straka. And there was a... Yeah, Straka, Lang, Slager, Kovalev. There was Czechs everywhere, right? Czech guys, Roseball, Melikar... Um, you know, well, Civic, Casper, well, maybe not Civic because he Casper, came in. Yeah, Casperitis. Yeah, but I mean, so, I know uh, was Barnaby yeah. there? Barnaby was there. <laughs> so they, so I fought Barnaby first first day. Yeah, how'd it go? So they, I good. I mean, how do you, you can't? Barnaby's a tough guy to beat up. Even Rob Ray, yeah. one of the toughest guys ever, couldn't beat him up because Barney's slippery and lippy and. Cagey, right? So you don't ever really beat up Matthew Barnaby. Someone did. I was watching some fights the other day. Someone beat him, beat him up pretty bad, actually, when he was at the Rangers. Someone got a hold of him. But um, <clears throat> they told us no fighting. And so when I am when I hear no fighting and I know I need to fight, well, that's when I just start hitting guys from behind and spraying the goalie and calling everyone pussies so that either, A, I'll be the biggest cocksucker out here, or B, someone's going to fight me. So either way, I'm going to get my wish. And so, sure enough, um, um, they told us no fighting. And I came down on the goalie, sprayed the goalie, cross-checked the D-man. And Barnaby came in with his gloves off. Perfect. I didn't start it. He did. <laughs> so, fight him. And, like, I remember at one point in the middle of the fight, like, I was kind of, he, I don't know what happened. I think I, like, um, I think I kind of had him in some sort of cross-grab or something like that. I was kind of holding his hand. And it kind of hit me like, why am I worried about getting hit by him? And I just literally just let go and just started punching him right in the head. And he was trying to hit me. But, like, again, like, I had confidence at the time. And it just didn't, you know, it didn't matter. And he just kind of snuck out. And, like, he, it was a typical Barnaby fight where it goes on for three minutes. And he tells everyone in the world, but, no, keep going, keep going. And, like, I'm trying to hit him. And he's, like, five feet away from me. And he's coming back with this one punch every three or four. Like, it, 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 you know, if you watch Barnaby fight, you know, he, he's fought, you know, 500 times and, or whatever the number is, 200 or 100. 80% of them are kind of the same. Yep. Where he, he'll, he'll string, string out bigger guys, he'll tire guys out and come back down on them. And so it was like that. And, and I, I kind of hung around Pitt for a bit. I was never really even on the radar. I ended up in Wilkes-Barre. And, um, Started played their preseason, fought all through the preseason. Dennis Bombie, um, I got some pretty good stories about my time in Wilkesbury and how that went. But Bones was up with with Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I was in Wilkesbury, and so that's kind of how how I got from Pittsburgh to Wilkesbury. Um, but it was funny because Glenn Patrick was the coach, and he told us he said, "Listen, you guys, like, we got two rules: work your ass off, be on time." That's it. Everything else is negotiable. But those two are non-negotiables. All right. 
So we get into the season and we get into regular preseason and I'm playing on fighting and I'm doing okay. No, no problems. Part of the team. I dressed a couple games. I got fought Steve McLaren, literally my first or second game in the league. And I don't care what anyone says. Steve McLaren might be the toughest American leaguer that I saw ever um, in my time. I know that guys might, there's other guys that came through and went on, but every one of those guys had to go through Steve McLaren. Yep. And, and, it, whether it was Goddard, whether it was Bones, didn't matter. You had to go through McLaren to get there. And um, no easy fights. That motherfucker is as tough as it comes. You can't hurt him. And if you're not careful, he'll hurt you. And I think I fought that guy at least three times in my career. And I take pride in that because that's three times more than most guys. Yep. And um, I remember I was I was sitting. And uh, I hadn't played in a couple of weeks. Our team was like 10 and one or something. And I hadn't played since the first two games. And coach calls me and he says, listen, um, we're going to let you go. You haven't played in three weeks. Um, you know, you're not getting any better. And, um, you know, we, we're going to let you go somewhere else and try and develop and come back to you. And I said, well, hang on a second. <laughs> Hang on there. You told me that I had to be on time and work my balls off. Have I been late for anything? Have I missed a bus, a meeting, a practice, anything? Nope. First, you've been great. Told you. Fuck, we love it. You're a great guy. All right. Have I, have I dog fucked one day? Have I, have I, have I fucked the dog once, one workout? Have I, have I stopped short on one, anything? Because you told me those were the rules. He's like, no parts. Like I said, they have no problem. I said, well, then you can't. I said, you got someone coming in? Did someone coming down? Did Dennis get sent down? Or did you trade for somebody? Like, no parts. Just, you haven't played. We want to give you a shot to play. I said, well, I don't want to go. I've never been at this level before. And I'm willing to keep practicing and working and waiting for my chance. I want to stay. And you told me if I worked hard and was on time, I could stay. And then Patrick looks at Mike Yosey. See, Yosey, I told you he'd say that. And uh, I went, he said, first, don't get dressed. So I go back into the locker room. The trainer's already packed my bag because they're cutting me, right? <laughs> hey, do me. When I bring Parson, pack up his bag. We're letting him go. All right. So I go into the room before practice. I come out, do me, fuck, let go of my bag. I'm getting dressed out of my bag. Guys are going on there for practice. They're cutting me right before practice. And I'm getting dressed. That's right. What happened? I said, never mind. Shut the fuck up. Let's get on the ice. I'll be right out. So I get dressed and, and uh, back into practice. And a couple of weeks later, I think I played two more games. And then it was a Monday again. And Doomy says, Glenn wants to see you. And I go in there and it's him and Yosey. And he goes, hey, Pars. What's up, Glenn? He's like, um, we're going to let you go. Um, Dennis got sent down today. He's on his way. Huh. Not going to talk myself out of this one, am I? <laughs> he said, no, first, but we love you, buddy. And anything we can do to help you, let us know. I said, all right. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for everything. So it was like mid-November. And so what I said about Fort Wayne, when I was leaving Fort Wayne, I didn't want to come out of Wilkes-Barre in November and be going to 450 a week in the U-Haul. I didn't want that. 
I wanted to come out of there and be like, okay, maybe another team picks me up. Maybe I can negotiate some leverage. And um, Wheeling was Pittsburgh Wilkes-Barre's farm team. Mario's brother, Elaine, was coaching. And he phoned me and said, listen, we are literally one and nine. I need help on D and forward. So you can play whatever fucking position you want. And um, please come. I'll pay you a thousand a week. All right, guys, I'll stop it right here. Um, yeah, hope you really enjoyed uh, part one. Um, and, hey, part two is just as good. Believe me, he's got some great stories in the second half here. Um, just for for time, I think I'll. I figured I'd break these up. I think we're already two and a half in, and then you know, part two will be two and a half as well. So, uh, yeah, and like I said, normally you know Wednesday's interview and then Sunday's the the solo episode. I think obviously I'll just we'll just keep this going. So Sunday will be part two of of this interview with Steve. And uh, um, all right, I'll shut up now. I'll uh, I'll talk to you guys on Sunday for part two with Steve Parsons. Thanks, guys. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?